0: welcome to the serious tv drama podcast i'm scott joining me once again Someone who will lick the cheese before gobbling down a knobby. It's Brian. Hey, Brian.
1: <laughs> hey, Scott. <laughs> Got
0: away with one there, didn't I?
1: That was that was uh, that was unexpected and and colorful. So yeah, <laughs> if, if I if I lick the cheese, does that mean you drink the uh, you drink the smoothie? Well,
0: if it's a meal meant for a king, fit for a king. <laughs> anyway, we are back to talk about. Well, let's see now. We've got the series finale of Succession, and then we've got the series finale of uh, Barry. And, hell, I might even throw in a few words about the series finale of The Marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel before we wrap this one up later. Did I mispronounce that fucking name again?
1: Nope. Oh, you got it.
0: Wow. But that's that's a maybe, at later. De- it de- you know what? If we shoot way past the two-hour mark, I probably will let it go. It'll be something me and Jamie can talk about, you know, weeks from now, if ever. But if we do have time, I would like to at least devote a few minutes for it, because it really does deserve it, as much as the two that we are going to definitely talk about. So let's get started on one of those. It's probably one of the most anticipated series finales since, um, I don't know, last year's Better Call Saul. (laughs) So I guess it's not really that long. But we are talking about Succession, and the finale episode that was titled with open eyes. And forgive my sound for a second. I just want to move the microphone just a little bit closer. So from, 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 from. Now, for those who may be unaware, and I'm going to suspect that that's going to apply to a lot of folks out there. The title for each season finale of Succession has been taken from a different line. Every single time. A different line from a poem by John Berryman. Uh, the poem itself is Dream 29. It's from a collection of poems he did in the 1960s called Dreams. I believe he won the Pulitzer Prize for it. Now, if you were to look back at the titles of the finales, I don't know, you could do this on, on Max. Oh, by the way, the, the new interface and everything with Max. Awful. You know, well, well done, HBO, Warner Brothers, Discovery, whoever the hell you are. You're ruining a site even more than you have already. Or you can just look them up on IMDb, whatever. You'll see the four titles have been, uh, Nobody is Ever Missing, This Is Not For Tears, All The Bells Say, and the latest one is Now With Open Eyes. Now, don't worry, I'm not actually going to read the entire poem here. <laughs> um, I'll simply say it's it's a poem that's about guilt, it's heavy but misplaced guilt, almost to the degree... Of you know, it's it's reminiscent of almost like the Telltale Heart or something, but by but uh, but poems end. There's a continuing struggle to believe and to keep others safe, um, but there's a clarity that this may not actually be possible. Now, if you look at those previous lines that were chosen to, um, for the finales, each one has a really direct connection. Season one finale, nobody is ever missing. That relates directly to the death of the waiter and the cut co- and the eventual cover up. Season 2 finale was this is not for tears and that related to Kendall finally overcoming being under his you know his father's thrall that that season and betraying him at the press conference you know shedding the guilt that he had had for so long at that point. However the season 3 finale which we remember oh so well cuz it was so good all the bells say that relates to the events after Kendall has confessed to his siblings and they finally join forces but as it reads in poem cuz these all these little Bits of lines are all taken out of context. All the bells say, what comes right after, is too late. And this is all too late because Logan has already outfoxed them at the end with the revisions of the agreement with Caroline, not to mention the heads up that he had gotten from Tom. So now we have the latest finale, the finale of the series, no less, with open eyes. And one can choose to interpret a phrase like that a couple different ways because again, it's three words that out of context of where they fall in the original poem, can mean any number of things. But what it means both in the poem and what, how it relates to this, to this episode, and the more you think about it, the more true it sounds, it's like a call or a need for clarity, much like the one I mentioned earlier. But the clarity here, it's not what Lucas Matson really thinks of Shiv and his plan to install a different CEO like Tom in charge of Waystar. And the clarity is not any sort of epiphany by anybody on the show. I was very happy to see the show did not go the route of someone has an epiphany. The clarity is what happens after Shiv bolts out of the conference room and Kendall and Roman go after her. The clarity is what is said by Shiv to her brother. The clarity is the unvarnished truth she tells, met only by the increasingly desperate lie after lie from Kendall which only reinforces and even proves what Shiv believes. What this does, it rips the veils from our eyes, as many viewers likely felt from the scene from their mother's kitchen to the vote that maybe we should be falling in line with the other siblings and rooting for Kendall at this point. But here, the clarity of truth shines. It shines like that warm light that Shiv spoke about when describing her father's attention. But the light is not one. Of warmth or healing. It's one that reveals, that proves, and confirms. So yeah, Brian, I just took an explanation of the title and tied it directly to opening up the conversation about what I, I think it's safe to say, is probably the biggest scene of the episode, if not the season or series even. Probably series, actually. And it also, I have to point it out before I throw it to you for a moment or two, obviously, it forms a very scary, eerie, negative parallel to the scene of the three Roy siblings that was so memorable in the season three finale, All the Bells Say. Because if you think back to that scene and this scene here, Kendall sadly and unconvincingly tries to walk back everything he said in that scene from the season three finale, really un- almost undoing any sympathy or credibility he ever had then, or has ever had or deserved. Like I said, it's the searing moment of the episode probably far more da- than any earlier either emotional breakdown or strategic takedown. So, now I can throw it to you and we can just we can just dive. We're, we're going to go through the entire episode and, and cover as much as we feel we can or want to, but I figured let's just go with the big kahuna scene first before we get to everything else.
1: Uh a few thoughts I had. Number one, it also is reminiscent of Kendall's failed board vote takeover. Um, where I think Roman was crucial and not coming through for him. then, um, earlier in the show, Kendall's Kendall's not doing real good with the board. Uh, so we have that. The second thought I had was it was masterful. The way it was masterful. The way they built up all this drama, and in losing all these kids were now unimaginably rich that despite not having the company, they were going to be made incredibly wealthy by the sale. Um, And, you know, the, their mother referenced you know, maybe having a fresh start and getting rid of it when they were there with her. Uh, But, that was a thought that went through my head after the fact. Uh, But I mean, we all know it's the access to power and the belief that power would somehow give respectability to all of them because they all felt less than their father. Uh, So there's that thought. And the final thing I'll say is that scene, um, that scene was intense. And uh, it's funny that Kendall, It's funny that Kendall denies trying to kill someone and then attacks Roman because what Roman says, uh, and I thought, I thought what Roman said about Kendall's kids, um, had the authenticity of Logan's voice. Um, and, and I wondered the first question I have, do you think, do you think that Shiv was already on the fence? And when Roman paused in the boardroom, it gave her greater strength to think maybe she should take a moment and consider it, or do you think she already had her mind made up?
0: Um, uh, so sort of likening um what Roman did and how it would impact someone like Shiv, kind of like the way Ewan's um unexpected eulogizing impacted roman during the church and state episode and would he have done reacted the way he didn't acted the way he did i should say um without that um i think shiv had been more on the fence and waffling about this than even roman this entire time because the real conflict was between her and kendall um more than roman 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 kind of like spiked at one point and then fell again, but otherwise he was pretty much going to be in sync to whatever degree, reluctantly, but still in sync with with Kendall. So, even, and and thus maybe even making up for the fact of how he didn't do that back in season one in that board vote that you referenced earlier. Um, did it? But 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 did his hesitation give her more? cause or pause to hesitate herself to the point where she actually had to get up and leave i think it's possible i i I think i think she wasn't prepared to pull the trigger because it's kind of it falls into the damned if you do damned if you don't especially since she knows it's not just voting against her brother and against her and it's also the situation with tom and how she would feel about supporting that because that's not something that would have really been something she would have been in support of obviously um so i i i think it had afforded her the the moment to actually needing to leave, to get up and leave and and then we 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 get the scene that we, we have here now I'm, I'm gonna dive more into the scene because there's a lot of things here a lot of things that are said and The crux of what Shiv is saying is, I don't think you'd be good at it. It's finally said. We've heard her and Roman have little conversations referencing uh, imagining Ken in charge, not just this season in the past, as well as with other characters. Someone saying that simple phrase point blank to him is different. We have not seen that. And that was something. And then we, we, we see how it's, how he starts to come apart because then she drops the bomb. She drops the bomb that we didn't, we didn't think of. We didn't think this would be said again. We, this, and you know, you could even say this was almost a Logan move on her part. You know, we keep likening what he, what the two brothers do to Logan. Fact is Shiv knows the same playbook. You can't be CEO because you killed someone. That's something Logan would have done, especially to Kendall. Look at what he look at how he treated him the whole time. I mean, that was the wait, What what the fuck moment there, because that's when the lie train begins, and it's sad and it's desperate. It's and then it gets you know every get out your thesaurus because the words are just going to get worse. It's pathetic. It's awful. It's and we've seen Kendall have so many moments on this series. That were, uh, what's the phrase? Cringeworthy. That made you kind of go, oh god, dude, whatever. But this was just, but to see him, basically, he's li- he's he's lying up a storm. And we the now, we either one wants to say he was just straight out lying, or he's in denial. Uh you know what? We can be kind and say he's in denial. No. He's. I'm, I don't accept that as truth. I think he's just straight out lying. He's trying. He's trying to change their minds in this. You know, in this. And the thing is, Kendall has shown a couple times this season how good he was at improvising on the spot and dealing with a situation that seemed was seemingly going pretty badly, like the living plus speech, like the like the impromptu eulogy at at the funeral, but here he doesn't. Here he here he here he collapses in a way which is not any less you know painful to to have to witness than what happened to Roman at 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 the church, and it's like you're you're losing them when he says things because it's not and it's not just about denying the death. He goes further and it gets more. I'm the eldest boy. He's not right well first, first of all you're not they all you can see by their reaction is like which also tells you just how much or how little respect they they ha- he has especially for connor because no connor's the oldest boy you know and, and when he by the way when he started saying that i was like oh he's this is this is bad i you know if he 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 may do a Don Draper and jump off the. Bill. Oh wait, he never actually
1: did that. But <laughs> <laughs> I had that thought though, and I had that thought that he would, you know, do something like that later in the episode. Well, I have something uh, to say about that, but we haven't gotten there yet. But come right. on, come on. Um, it it was uh, it, it I think there was some foreshadowing of uh-huh. her doing this. Yep. Because at their mom's house, she jokes about murdering him. Yes. Um so in her mind, you know, like it and she plays it off as a joke, but after you watch the episode, you you see that that she probably was already thinking about that. Now, I will say what I loved about the episode is it did give us some sugar Uh, with the sour, you know, it it gave us some sugar with the medicine. Um, We'll talk about that later. But, boy, you know, the last pill is really bitter for Ken. And uh, to sort of play off what you said earlier, this is probably as pathetic. I I mean, you know, when you make Roman look, uh, you know, more put together than you, and doing it in front of all those people right. and yelling it and that i mean he he embarrasses himself in front of everyone i mean basically everyone that's been in the show
0: and this is yeah. not something where in the past when he's had these issues sometimes they were connected to his addictions um there was the the what's that the, the birthday party yeah episode where he just doesn't realize just how embarrassing something yeah. is this is just this is just about him, and th- there's something more I want to say about that. But it's more about later, and I want to say that f- when we are finishing up the episode, but it it I mean, remains locked in my head. But here, even when she when again you had referenced um, the eventual uh, fight he has with Roman because Roman brings up the situation with the kids because he opens kind of the book of you know the the eldest boy silliness kind of leads to the idea of bloodlines and and Roman kind of takes that and goes running like, well, the only person here with, with the actual pure bloodlines beyond, you know, themselves is going to be Shiv. And that's where we go into the fact that, um, uh, his, his daughter is, I think we all know that the daughter is adopted because we've seen her and she's obviously, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, I believe she's of a different race than either, um, kendall or, or rava and i guess he makes a reference to the, the son who i believe isn't he is he supposed to be somewhat autistic i think there, there, to a there's a certain
1: degree there's an inference there's an inference
0: it, they never actually they i think it's like he might be on the spectrum or just the way he when logan's reading like the children's book and you're still reading a book of this nick whatever but the implication that not implication he at right says a roman says it, that that was a child of rava. and. I think he says some filing cabinet guy. So I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: File cabinet guy. So
0: cabinet. perhaps there is some element of infidelity there. I don't know if those ever referenced in an earlier season. I just don't remember. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of this show the way I do a few others that we've talked about over the years, but it's certainly believable, especially if you're married to someone like Kendall. Um, which has the fight. Oh, by the way, the fact that we get not one, but two ridiculous awkward fights in this episode means they 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 clearly went to the walt and jesse um (laughs) two two white guys who really don't know anything about fighting although greg has a nice reach on but i think the the really the thing that really sums up the scene and the roys is what roman says at the end of it all and he just says he's talking about everything he's talking about whether n- it's not just the situation, but everything regarding Waystar and ATN and the Roy family dynamics and what, and what their father has wrought and done to them and where they are now. And he basically says, we're nothing. We're bullshit. You're yeah. bullshit. He's thinking about himself as well. And there's nothing to come back to from that. Kendall has no, real response to that to kind of counter it you know he's he's this is as defeated as kendall has been in some time and we've seen him defeated though but this is this was the one he wasn't anticipating because all the other times tended to be up against his father and here it's it turns out it's himself because the idea is like they don't believe you can actually do this. And it was one thing for his father not to believe. And let's face it, the thing that motivates these three for what they're doing more than anything, more than money, more than power, more than all that stuff, is they whether he's alive or dead, each of the three wants to prove their father wrong. And that they can that they can fill those shoes. Roman does it a few times even in this very episode. Shiv has always wanted to do that you know see how hard it was being a daughter of someone like logan roy and kendall you know yeah that since he was you know as we'll talk about later since he was a child you know so again it's a it's a really powerful scene that takes an episode that um, was a very, was, was an exceptionally good episode. And it felt like, okay, this is like su- succession classic. We've got multiple locations. We got a foreign locale. We've got, we've got drama, but we've got some comedy and look and we've got bonding, whatever. And I kept thinking, Oh, this feel, you know what it felt like? It felt like a succession finale because the succession finales tend to have scenes like that. If you really yeah. think about it and which means and if you're and if that's what you expect you know okay we haven't had the scene where we're gonna get punched in the stomach and we think there's like a moment with roman and kendall just a little bit earlier like is this that moment it's like i don't think so because it's not it's not big enough this was the big one that we, we get hit with and we're kind of like we're reeling just the way kendall is and as we do for the for the remainder of the episode i think
1: yeah they give us a couple of feints to go for earlier yep and then, you know, hit you with a knockout blow at the end and uh it it is uh, funny that at some point in the episode, uh I'm sure many of our listeners and probably even myself found myself kind of pulling for them to beat Madsen and be together and Kendall run the company and and then, you know, but she tears the veil away and you realize she's right. Yeah. The thing that's, and we'll, I mean, we'll probably
0: do more of a summation at the very end, but the one thing that I've, I said it earlier today in a conversation, and I might have, I think I said it on the podcast as well, if I haven't, I'll, I'll say it now. Um, I've never seen a series that could be, on one hand, so predictable, and yet we still are go against that. So that we end up being shocked at something which seemed very, which when you realize, oh, it was staring us right in the face the whole time. Like the ultimate resolution of what happens when, if you start to think about, it, like, well, they they were kind of telling us that the whole time, and we, much like Kendall, we're kind of in a bit of a denial, like, no, 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 it has to be, it has to be, da, 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 da. yeah. Anyway, for, let's get to the rest of the episode, and we'll, and we'll be, and we can even return to a little bits that we might have missed here. Um. I'm, Essentially going to break it down into like four big chunks or segments, uh, beyond what, beyond what we just discussed. Obviously anything that slips through the cracks or bleeds over from one part to the next, one of us, probably Brian, uh, <laughs> will catch it. Or you know what? It can just remain unsaid. So. Here's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with, we've got the Roy kids, you know, how they end up at their mom's house. You know, this is all about the recruitment of Roman that ends up becoming the supposed anointment of Kendall. So we, we, we've got the situation where, um, they have, to, both Kendall and Shiv jet off to, um, I guess it's their mother's vacation house, I'm thinking. It's, like it's in the Caribbean, I think, that is mentioned. Um, you know, essentially, they're going there to bag Roman for his vote, whatever, as opposed to, hey, our brother was really screwed up just the other day, and now he's disappeared. We're worried about his health. Um, so we get this little thematic thing in the beginning of how, how fragile Roman is, which is doing nothing... <laughs> So you have Roman getting pissed off at everybody for treating him like a child. You have Kendall when he shows up, and he's on full paranoid alert about every single word uttered by anyone, including his own mother. And then you have Shiv, and he he gets upset with her because he's, he's saying that she's gloating. But it's interesting because, yeah, she is. She absolutely is. But, you know, and it's and not, whether you're rooting for Shiv or not, you have to hand it to her. What she's saying, it's deserved. Because it. she literally lays out everything that has happened pretty much over the course of the season that's led up to this moment. It's hard to deny. It's, it's basically, it was, you know, it's, it's as clear as the nose on your face. Yeah, they, they did treat her that way. And so they do, she does deserve to have a little uh, victory dance, even though we'll soon see it's short-lived.
1: Yeah, I, I I found myself uh, most compelled by the things Shiv said at the at the house in the in the Caribbean. And uh, like the interaction with their mother, um, I like that that we got to see her a final time. And again, you know, the one thing that did bind all these kids is they had two terrible parents, um, even in this. You know, it, it it struck me as as ironic that Carolyn didn't want them to pressure Roman and try to get his vote. But she had people lined up for a pitch. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really kind
0: of um, the fact that she clearly is aware of what's going on in their lives and, and what's at stake here and continually minimizes it. Um, it, on one hand, it's understandable that she feels that maybe it's, it'll be best for them not to, not to be part of that business anymore, as you had mentioned earlier. But it, I, I don't know how much I'm feeling the true maternal, um, love here. And I, you know, you know, granted, they may not be the most deserving <laughs> of such affection either, you know, you know, but, um, during all this. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw in a little thing just, which isn't a nice little kind of uh element that kind of impacts everything with them. Um So I'm going to skip I'm, I'm like skipping forward and ahead a few times here. Cause we had, cause Ken does get that call and the call is actually from Greg, but I, the one thing I want to mention about that is I love the, if I give you something incredible, will you give me something amazing? <laughs> I just love this. Basically we're finding out about what Lucas is going to do that Lucas is is going to be screwing over shiv and so to focus again back on them in at their mom's house we're watching it and we're going wait is this going to bind the three together again are we are we ending the season kind of like the way we started the season oh they are they joining forces and then they have the hmm, i don't know if it's a debate exactly because they realize they're going to need one voice, one person. They even make a call to the dude who's his, who's his assistant, who crunches numbers and figures things out. I love how they all say, the guy's awful, the guy's awful. Okay, get him on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's perfect succession, whatever. But they have – it's the conversation about who it should be and how each one of them has a – has a promise on the record from their father at one point in their lives, and so it's it's kind of interesting to contrast the, the, the three "quote unquote" promises they got. And of course, we always have we always have the gag of well, did anyone see this? Was this you know if it's not
1: if it's not on video or tape and the, the pictures or it didn't happen, as they say, right? Well, I mean, you know, look at look at all the women in Roman's life. He, he I mean, in uh, Logan's life, he he made a lot of promises that he never intended to keep. Right,
0: I mean, and it's fun because some of this we we already know ourselves. We know that he did make those promises to Roman. So when Roman goes, his was the most recent. Like, oh, he's he's not wrong about that, though. He's a fool to think his father would have actually gone forward with that. We know we had we spent most of a season with the promises that he had given to Shiv, but then never made good on or even acknowledged. And by the way, if anyone hasn't noticed that the way Logan went about what he said to her initially and then from that point on and not seen it be eerily similar to the way Lucas has kind of kept sidestepping really out and out saying that she is going to be the CEO. And I noticed that a number of times and he never out and out says it. He never quite declares it. And then you have Ken. And we find out that Logan had said this to him when he was a child, when he was seven years old. Um, and then he also acknowledges, it's kind of messed up that he did that to me, that he put, he put that on me. You know, it's because you think of all of it. You think of the pressures that were involved that he had to live up to his father's image from, he didn't get, when you tell your seven year old son something like that, you're also taking away your son's childhood. Because from that point on, how can he, how can he just live, live his life as being a kid when you realize you have this huge mantle to live up to and you've been told that this is going to be yours, you know? So it would be interesting to, it would, it would have been interesting to have like a backstory of what was Ken, Kendall's behavior like from that point on in school and with other people? Did that make him become that much more careful and, and, and shut in as a result because he didn't want to, you know, didn't want to do the wrong thing, didn't want to be, what Roman turned out to be.
1: Right. It, it also is sad because it, it, when you tell a kid that at age seven, it takes away their future because they then don't get to choose what they want to do. But, like it, it's, it's been, it's been foisted upon them. that This is what you're going to do. It becomes duty and not choice. Right. You, you, you take away
0: the chance for a child to dream about, you know, when you're seven or eight or nine, you know, that's, you, you may have gotten past the age where you want to be, going to grow up to be a cowboy but you may want to grow up
1: to be a baseball player or a doctor or maybe not a doctor, but you know what I mean? Um, what age do you stop? Is it okay to stop thinking you want to be a ninja? Yeah. Or an astronaut or something. Yeah. So you can still be in that. Yeah. So this eventually,
0: we eventually get to, I call it like the, the, the late night swim scene. Um, and Kendall eventually he, he goes in the water and that's going to be something I'll talk about later as well. Um, Kendall and Water, um, and we're left with Shiv and Roman having a private conversation, and it's it's an it's an interesting conversation because it's so very true, and it's a, it's so very insightful to hear these two who are who we've seen be at be at odds a number of times recently, but we've also seen them share truths as well, especially about their own brother. Um, but I love the acknowledgement that they, i think they when they realize that dad probably didn't want to give it to any of them because that's the thing you that you can't get that's that's the truth you can't get away from when you watch when you've watched almost four full seasons of the show it's like i don't really i don't think i i know i don't think he ever wanted to give it to any of them i think we even though he knew he wasn't immortal I think he still chose to go about things that way. Cause, and if he was going to sell off that, that him selling off the company was in a way like, you know what? I don't think any of them deserve it. I'd rather just sell it and make, you know, billions of dollars. And then here you can guys can go do your own thing, but you're not going to do, you're not going to carry on my legacy and my company because you're not in. T- I don't think you can do it when I mean, you much like Shiv says just to kennel, but he doesn't think any of the three can do it. I think
1: or thought. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, Uh, Shiv says something at one point like I think dad just put one foot in front of the other like, you know, you know, I I, I don't I don't believe Logan actually had a plan. I I think that he wanted he probably liked the idea of living plus and hoping to extend his life as long as possible. Right. Very good. Very good. good. Yeah. You know, and hang in there as long as he could he needed the kids for certain things. And if, you know, if they knew eventually that they wouldn't get it, they might've went on ship, might've stayed in politics, you know, they might've done something else. Uh, and he, didn't, uh, not, but not for business. I mean, as we learned, you know, the birthday party, he, he did want him around, whether it was to emotionally beat on them or just have them there because they're family. Um, but, you know, he didn't want him there for business. So I think he kept all of them dangling on the hook to, to be there. But I, I don't think he had any intention of doing anything till he dropped dead. And that's why we are where we are.
0: I think the character has said, as well as even the uh, actor in Brian Cox in interviews, I remember from way back that uh, Logan's problem, at least in Logan's mind, was the fact that he did love his children. Because you take away the family factor, the blood factor, the love factor, and he looked at them just cold and objectively, none of the three were fit to fill his seat. And right. a and, and decision would have been made some time ago to just remove them from even the thought of it. Either he would have installed someone else, or he would have sold the company, which is what he ended up planning to do. The, it's the fact of who they were and what they were to him is what made everything so complicated. And that's what, what made everything uh, all the problems for him. And that's when, he, so when he had moments, like when he wished he could have had them at the birthday party, regardless of the fact that, you know, 90% of the time he treats them like crap, but it's still, it's that 10% that he thinks about. It's that 10% of that. It's, it's still, it's the, it's letting the sun shine on them. Like, you know, Sh- Shiv says it's a mostly dark room, but there is that one sliver of light kind of a thing. I want to go to what you, because you had mentioned something, and it's funny because I see my notes had the word foreshadowing. So, yeah, you got me on that one. When they start talking about the idea of murdering Kendall. Um, the best, and that's totally foreshadowing about the, the, what happens in the in the little conference room later on, but the best part about the scene is that we get both... Uh, uh, we we'll, we'll get both. Uh, is her name, Sarah? Is it Shook or Snook? I, f- I always forget a lot. Snook, I think. I think it's Snook. Um, and Kieran Colgan both doing impressions of Kendall. Amazing.
1: <laughs> Cause you those- know, when the first one was done, I thought, like, did he talk and the water just carried the sound over there? Like, it was so good. The but and you have to imagine because he's a method actor. Oh yes. That that they've probably in at craft service or something, you know, as an aside joked and and worked on their impression of of Kendall.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Which then, you know,
0: obviously they go, they swim out to anoint him, but they have to go back and they have to have oh, that's of a meal fit for a king fit for a king for... i love the singing of it fit for a king. yeah it's it's a nice joyous happy scene with them we've gotten a couple of them over the years not often i love how they even make a big deal about when he's still on the little uh craft on, at, at sea um getting him to smile because we don't see <laughs> kendall smiling is a rarity on this show it's like there's those teeth there they are um but the the everything from the building of the smoothie that you're referring to to caroline you know popping into the kitchen and whining about them you know keeping peter up and don't touch peter's cheese which then leads to the licking of the cheese moment which is unbelievable
1: there's a scene when roman is vamping about the cheese that in the background shiv i'm sure the actress. I don't think it was acting. I think that like probably that, that take right shortly after that, she broke. Cause well, I mean, they, it was, uh, the, the delight on their faces at being so absurdist in, in that moment was what mm-hmm. was, and I, I think in that moment it's the first time, I mean, you think about it in a kitchen, like looking in the fridge um, this is the first time that we have a glimpse into what their childhood was like. Like this is them reverting in like a parent's house in the kitchen, looking for food, acting like siblings, uh, you know, coming in after being out at a bar or, or coming in late, you know, mom and dad in bed and grabbing a sandwich and, and joking around. And it it's the most family thing that, that maybe we've ever seen.
0: Oh, well, yeah. All, you know, all was missing was an 80s song playing in the background. It could have been a scene from a movie from the 80s, quite frankly. Um, and of course, Kendall does drink the concoction until it, until he's crowned with it. I was like, Oh, it's like Game of Thrones. Um, and of <laughs> course, um, you know, <laughs> Jeremy Strong being the method actor he is, and I believe he actually did drink the concoction, which was supposedly comprised of some rather odd materials. I was informed of that earlier today. Um, okay, so i'm i'm gonna I'm gonna move to what I call the next segment, even though again, things overlapped or things that we didn't mention that were good that will be mentioned shortly. So don't worry, we didn't skip certain things. There's one big thing we skipped that, you know, wasn't part of that because segment two, I call it. It's where we go from Tom being shit-can candidate, number one, to his possible ascension to the throne. And that little Judas of his, who only learned from the best, which would be Greg. So, as we're shifting to Tom, now we need, as I just said, we need to head back to a couple key moments that we didn't touch on before. Number one is the scene where Shiv is discussing and describing Tom, in that early scene with Lucas. And when you watch that scene, how, in many ways... She's pretty much unintentionally selling Lucas on the idea of Tom being the man for the job, but not for the ATN job, for the CEO slot. Because she, she pretty much lays it out that he's a yes man who will do, pretty much do the overlord's bidding and will, in her words, and this is probably the word that stuck more than anything, suck the biggest dick in the room. And if you, if you're watching Lucas's reaction during that entire scene, if, it, if the idea of Tom being the CEO had only been a vague thought, if any, before that, it became the thought there. And I was watching that, because I did re-, I, I did rewatch watch most of the episode. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think there's one part I kind of, I hazed, I, I had to do something during, but <laughs> I watched like 95% of the episode over again. And I was watching his reactions, I like, going, Oh, that's really smart. I wonder if I, wonder if I picked up on that when I was watching it initially. So I, again, and it's interesting because then, when we know what's going to eventually happen, you know, Shiv bears, I can't say she bears total responsibility. That that would be a bit much, but she bears some of it. I think she bears some of it.
1: Yeah. But, but unwittingly, I, I think, you know, she's plugging him for ATN, but, but what he hears is the possibility of something more. And the most telling thing he said, and it, he says it about Shiv, but it really applies to Tom because it's anybody to be the CEO is he basically says like, you know, she has a lot of ideas. I don't need ideas. I have the ideas right like like, you know, t- Tom, do- Tom doesn't have an idea like like he just does what he's told. And that's what Lucas wants.
0: Shiv, oh, but but I blame I, I think Shiv deserves blame. Yes, unintentional. It, it wasn't she didn't go out of her way to be um, callous about the possibility of him taking that position. But she's going out of her way to be callous about Tom as a person, about this yes. person that she's about to have a child with and is still technically married to and is going to shortly have a conversation where she is considering, um, some form of reconciliation, but m- not much differently than how she spoke about him at the party. She's, you know, what's the, she's beyond damning what faint praise here.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and you know, if he had been privy to what was said here, he could just as likely tell her, yes, I'm gloating and I have every right to because of the way she talked about him and treated him.
0: Right. And so let's take that right to that Shiv and Tom conversation, which, as I said, I guess you can call it uh, Shiv's attempt for a reconciliation of convenience. And it oddly mirrored, which but, but she kind of out. Um, outlines form It oddly sort of mirrors what their relationship Often felt like before Only maybe more honest Maybe all the worst things one could have ever Done or said have already been done And said But Tom is the one who's Hesitant And you notice that when he's hesitant Shiv quickly hangs up Which really kind of Reflects how she It's very rare that she will open up in such a uh, revealing an intimate way, so she immediately shuts that down. I wonder where she got, got that trait from.
1: <laughs> well, the fact she has any vulnerability at all, like it had to be from a grandparent. <laughs> exactly. So then
0: we have the Tom and Lucas scene, and going with what you were just talking about. Oh, why did I stop to have a drink while I'm talking on a podcast? Well, I'm professional. Um,. I love the fact that we, we we go into this dinner because Tom is still, uh, and and perhaps rightfully so, thinking he, you know he's his head is on the chopping block. He's had these hangs before. He doesn't do well. He's socially awkward. He get he's he will often. It's not that he says the wrong thing, but it's just the he he's not great at carrying a conversation mm-hmm. on his own, and he's constantly trying to why trying to always please, but he never comes up with anything to really make that connection. But I love when he realizes that this dinner, this, this, this meeting, this food, you know, it's going in a different direction than he anticipated until what you say. And uh, when he, and when it's revealed that he's actually being considered for the CEO job. And in fact, it, 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 it could very well be his, um, again this thing's tom deserves credit for the way he the way he compartmentalizes and is able to restrain his reactions to things is very impressive especially in this scene cuz you can imagine how his head must be exploding at this rate because it's not just you know you, you just might have made it up to you know be king of the hill You're also have to be aware of how this is going to impact everything else in your life and as well as the person who is still your wife and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree with that. And I I think in in addition to being like an empty suit, um, you know, I thought probably one of the most comic um, things is that basically he told Madsen like he'd be a pain sponge. Oh, I love the pain sponge thing.
0: Well, it's perfect because he's kind of, in a weird way, he sells himself to Lucas in a similar way the way Greg sold himself and what what he does. Because oh yeah, I'm the one who I'm the one who can just fire people. I have no problem doing it. I I can be I can be a cold soulless bastard. You know I I you know I'm the man for the job. Tom's kind of going about, it. I like the Tom and Greg thing. I think by, by at the end here, my first time saying it in the podcast at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, I feel in some ways the most interesting and bewildering and then ultimately perfect or fruitful relationship on the entire series. Well, f- 40 episodes, 40 episodes. I think it's 40 episodes, whatever it is, 39 or 40 episodes. Um, is Tom and Greg. I think Tom and Greg is just, it, it's the most fascinating front relationship because it's, it's, there's a code, there's a weird codependency there. There's a, there's definitely an element of abuse there, <laughs> you know, but it's kind of like, um, oh, it's like that little bird that picks out the things out of the crocodile's teeth kind of thing. <laughs> That's Greg. Uh, <laughs> it's just, and the fact that, again, got to give Greg credit to some degree. For someone that we thought was such a, you know, babe in the wilderness boo when this whole thing started, now obviously we've seen him do things over the last three seasons, four seasons that have proved otherwise. Everything from keeping the documents to different things he says, whatever. Him being savvy enough to turn on the translator app on his phone when he's in within, you know, di- you know, w- within um, recording or whatever you want to call it, uh, distance of uh, Lucas and Oscar at the bar there. And that's how he finds out what's really happening, and that's what leads to that call he makes to Kendall that we referred to earlier. I was like going, oh! And the moment he makes that call, I was like going, oh! You're you're Tom. You've just you've just done a Tom. That's I mean, this is this is Tom calling Logan and letting him and giving him the heads up about what's going on with the kids and what they're about to do. This is what Greg. This is exactly what Greg. Even wanting wanting the promises of if I give you something, will you give me something? I don't know if that's what Tom said, we'll, we'll never, one of my regrets is we'll never know how that call went. I would have loved, I, I wish there was a, a like a deleted scene or, or just, just shoot it just for someone, just for us to see, you know, I'd love to have seen that scene of how Tom approached Logan about all this.
1: Yeah, it, it would be pretty great. And Greg's savvy. Um, Greg really found a way this season to play both sides but to do so uh with greater intellectual uh maturity and and he he was still greg and still made some missteps but you see well, growth the, the, in his character
0: the, the quad guy stuff and being open
1: about that kind
0: of didn't help him
1: really well it is he but kind I of mean, veered he veers back and forth because he, he does but, still, uh, but you know tom is just as awkward
0: Yeah, I guess, but Tom, you know what?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll say yes, because I was about to say Tom
0: isn't, is taken more seriously. Like, no, he's not, which is actually, but by the end of the day, he's still, you know, the dry cleaner as, um, you know, Roman seems to refer to him all the time. is the guy who ends up in the chair, not, not one of them. Um, I want to bounce over to another Shiv and Tom moment, which happens later on. Um, just, just to focus on their scene. Um, this is when, um, when we we get the real we get Shiv being hit with the realization that Lucas is picking Tom. Hey, look what they just did. They did another major reveal about something involving Shiv with another character here. It's with her and Tom last time it was like her and her mother where what's being revealed is never said, but it's figured out. like she never tells her mother that she's pregnant or in any way, shape or form, but she figures it out. Tom doesn't tell her right off that he's the CEO. She just is staring at him and realizes. And then here we go again. It's betrayal time. And you're thinking in this scene, are we blowing up what they had talked about earlier? Even though he was the hesitant one because, you know, he still has, you know, his issues and misgivings about the whole thing. But she, now she's back to throwing out phrases, like you said, like, like, like you're an empty suit or you you know, and, you know, in, you know, in right off calling him a motherfucker or whatever. It was just like, oh, it was like the the, the most tumultuous relationship over the last uh, season, uh, this entire season, quite frankly. And then of course, shortly after that, because she meant the reveal of Greg is the source that Tom confronts him. And they have that slap fight in the bathroom. (laughs) It's, It's, I love that you can have something which is kind of, I can't decide if that was more comedic or dramatic when it happened. <laughs>
1: Except that, It'd take your pick. Yeah, I, I although, mean,
0: although Greg it, fights back, and I don't, yes. season one, Greg would not have fought back. Yes, Greg,
1: Greg fights back, and a part of me wanted him to pummel Tom. Um, but you know, uh, I mean, they all they all bear their share of guilt. But the funny thing is, uh, when when it's done. You know, everybody straightens up and composes themselves and walks outside the door like nothing happened. Right. Just like when Kendall has to leave, you know, the boardroom, it's compose yourself, straighten your suit and and walk out like nothing happened. Mm. Maybe we'll get to that later. I, I have I have I have thoughts.
0: So since both these last things I just mentioned were all taking place during. Um, the scene at what, what, what used to be their father's home and now it's Connor and Will's place. So let, let's get to this because I think some of the fun and emotional stuff, uh, in a positive way resides in this, in this little stretch of the episode. You know, everything from the stickers to that video. And once again, as I pointed out in a previous podcast, how once again we get away with a flashback that isn't a flashback <laughs> on succession. <laughs> So when we open with that scene, I love, 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 love how they go; they all go along with Connor's rather elaborate and yet somewhat sensible <laughs> sticker system of people declaring which of Logan's possessions that they want <laughs> in the house. But one of the things I really um, love and that happens during this the scene, I'm like at least at least moments later, um, Shiv points something out to Willa because Will and Connor lay out their plans. Now um, he's, I guess he's going with the ambassadorship to Slovenia, but she's going to stay here. She's eventually going to start having rehearsals for a play she's working on, you know, over the next several months, whatever. So they're going to have this long distance relationship, even though they've only been married for a couple weeks. Shiv dropped a little, little bit of info that, you know, Hey, that's that legal fight. That's actually going on in Wisconsin right now. And there are, and I, I guess there's it's at least 50-50. I don't know if they say what the likelihood is. There's a good chance those results are going to get thrown out, which also would mean that Mencken may not end up being president after all, which is which is actually, if there was the, the biggest question after this show is, the series is over is, hey, I kind of wonder if Mencken actually got elected or not, because that seems to be questionable right now. I think that's actually more of a question than than what happens to each of the characters because I think we can all theorize and, and and imagine what happens to each one of them. But I just love because all these plans involving Connor going to Slovenia may all go bye bye, and you see Willa's face, and like, again, I love it. It's like, yeah, that 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 marriage wasn't built on love, and we, and even though they had those conversations, I think she felt there's enough here, but I'm going to have so much time to whatever. And all this, it's
1: like, oh wait. We're, so it's going to be us in this house. Uh. <laughs> yeah, even as big as it is, it's not big enough. No. Although I do love that she's going to get this big uh, cow print couch. I was <laughs> like watching. It's like, it's like, oh,
0: yeah, classy. There you go. So let's get to the virtual dinner with dad video. So we got our Logan. And again, it had to be away. I joke because I, I couldn't imagine they would come up with another video. Nope, they did. <laughs> So there you go. But a very different video than last time. If the video we saw when he was rehearsing for that uh, Living Plus thing was showing the rather nasty, you know, negative side of Logan, um, this is probably about as positive uh, a view we're ever going to see of him. Um, Everything. So we have him doing like the, the presidential loser list. And I love the fact that they all recognize that. Okay, this is something dad did. You know, probably as I grew up, he would do this. And, you know, and, and obviously it grew as he got older because we were more presidential losers whatever. And there's a, and I love that there's a rhyming pattern to it. It's really, it's it, it, uh, it, it's a lot of fun to watch. And because I remember going, oh, okay. Oh, Clinton, you know, not the worst.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like a whole poem. The, the, the funny thing is, is that's sort of a juxtaposition of, you know, most people learn the winners of the presidential election. Logan learns the losers because he wants to identify who losers are.
0: Yes, that is kind of interesting when you look at it that way. Especially since, you know, well, depends how much, how many of those losers are people that he would have supported. Like, like St. Barry, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I noticed that. it be George, St. Barry. So you have that. You have Jerry delivering a limerick. All right. And you kind of see, that at least for a little bit, a little bit of Rome kind of lighting up at a Jerry saying a slightly raunchy limerick there. But the shocker is Carl. Carl singing this, you know, like, like a traditional Irish song, which then eventually, I guess everybody knows these songs when you're at a certain age, I guess. And they're all... And it's actually, the whole thing is really quite moving. And I guess what's really moving about it is that they're watching their father perhaps one last time In a rare, happy, positive light. And that's what's really striking about the video. And, you know, if you're an old softy like this dude over here with the thumbs pointing at his fat
1: face, um,
0: I got a little teary. I got a little
1: teary during it a little bit. Yeah, it was uh, perhaps the most unadorned, sentimental thing the show's ever done and uh, was really completely without any sarcasm, any, you know, the only sort of uh, usual thing is Logan keeps telling Carl he he's butchering it, you know, uh, but they're all singing and, and it's touching and the kids all start to one by one tear up. And, it, you know, it's funny you say that. I, I've watched
0: the scene twice now. I can't make up my mind what he said, what what he means, because he's saying he's murdering it. Yeah. Now, sometimes when someone, especially when someone's singing, you know, like in karaoke or whatever else, when you say, "Oh, you're killing it," it's a compliment. you're doing it well. I couldn't decide what he was, what he meant. I, I, I still, I, and I've watched it a couple times. I still can. He, he's smiling, and they all end up singing along with it. So I think he's, I think. It goes back to when Frank and Carl spoke to Shiv um, after the um, the interment. They, they referred to him as being a salty dog, but a good egg. Yeah. This is the one time we see. Oh, in this scene, he's a salty dog, but a good egg. Oh, I left out. I, I and I can't believe I left it out. Cause, you know, I forgot. Um, Connor's impression of Logan doing "I am a little teapot," which, which is fantastic. It's yeah, like, this is the episode where everybody has impressions of everybody else. <laughs> you know, and you know, I'm a little short. So fuck off!
1: Yeah, <laughs> what did yeah, you say? it was it, it was wonderful because uh, you know Carl and Frank really have been quite a pair this season. And I meant to mention earlier, you said that and it reminded me, I liked when Tom rose to prominence. They look at each other and one of them says we should have killed him in the bassinet or, or we should have murdered him in the. Should have slit his throat in the crib.
0: That's what it's at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, like those two, uh, you know, I think we'd commented in an earlier podcast. I, I think Frank really, uh, of all of them, probably was the closest to family that worked for him, but that inner circle group was sort of a family to, to Logan in a weird way. Yeah. I, I'm, what, what actually we're, you know, we're kind of up to it right now. So
0: like we can, we can go there right now. Cause we are really, I think we're really getting into the, going to get to the fourth segment, which I call the vote and the aftermath, which was the before and after the scene that we talked about earlier. Um, what we're talking about right now is the, is the after, which is fine. Um, but I'll, I'm going to tie them together with Frank. I, I I don't want to say I was either surprised or shocked, but if I could question the vote of anyone in that room, it's interesting how there were times where it seemed like Frank was going, was willingly going to align with Kendall, and that he seemed to have um, even the most empathy for Kendall at times. Not Carl. Carl certainly not. And I, I, I wondered about it. But I, I, but I think Frank basically it became a bottom line thing. It was like, okay, this is the billions of dollars here. And you know what? He probably had a view that wasn't much different. I'm going to say it again at the end of the day. At the end of the day, his view probably wasn't really that much different than his view, which might have been the overriding view for people. It's like, I just don't think you can do it. And everything you've done, even though he's, he has this wealth of experience that he, he refers to that he, his time in LA and whatever, but that's not the same as running Waystar. And every time you've had, you've been near the seat and everything you've, you've shown that we've watched over the last few seasons has shown, I'm not sure you're the guy for the job. So that's how I was able to explain away why Frank would not go along with him. Because I know there was always, I think he, I think he thought himself he would be able to get Frank and, The fact that he was able to get Stewie and not Frank is very interesting because Stewie is more mercurial and he'll go wherever think he would go wherever he can get the most money out of it, which would have been going with the other side of the deal. But it's Frank who doesn't who doesn't switch.
1: Well, I I kind of view it as if you're Frank and you're trying to decide, I mean, probably the ultimate North Star that, that you would look to would be this is what Logan wanted. Right. Right, and but they were still. Remember, they were they were still debating where yeah. Logan really
0: wanted Kendall in the first place. Remember them talking about that document. Um, we know we know how Carl felt because Carl referred to him as the little princess.
1: No, no, no. I mean, I think Frank chose to vote for the deal because he knew that's what Logan wanted was to make the deal. Right. No, no. You're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely
0: right. Um, and. and i think you're right about that so we go through the vote and we've kind of covered this already um you know between roman's hesitance and then shiv you know eventually leaving the room we get the big scene that we talked about already um it's interesting that you know uh kendall did get stewie's vote but stewie didn't apparently didn't do anything to get either the sandys to switch over to his side whatever um I do like the fact that, you know, oh boy, Frank and Carl, they're, they they end up supporting the other thing. And we, I mean, nobody ends. Eh, they're not going to be rewarded for that. Now, we, now that may, they may end up getting those golden parachutes after all, because, you know, that's probably how that, that something like that's going to work. But that isn't what, certainly it wasn't what Carl was, was steering towards. So I'm going to jump in after the big showdown that we talked about. Just Kendall coming back in the room. But when he comes back in the room, it's just he doesn't the fact that he doesn't even perceive because if you look, when he, if I'm not mistaken, when he comes back in the room, I think I might be wrong. and If I am, I apologize. I, I think the only people left in the room were the people who voted against him because only there's only, there's only like six people in the room. And I think they're the people who've. I could be wrong about that. I might be wrong about it.
1: I, I don't recall, but I mean, I knew Shiv wasn't there anymore, so yeah. you know it's over. But I, but several people weren't there, so I think. But again, it, it. But the fact
0: is, half only half the room is there. Whether whether it turns out, I might be wrong, so it don't don't hold me to it. But the fact that Kendall isn't even perceiving the situation, and he's trying to adjourn them, like no, half the room is gone already. This has already happened. But there's something I want to point out. Now they've made a lot on this show from the very first scene, pretty much, to now, of we get scenes of Kendall coming and going and and it's always reflective of his position and where he where he is whether you want to say power wise or even um how he how he feels about himself wise or whatever, however you want to look at it. He's more rattled and frumpled here than ever before because he had the fight with Roman. So his hair is must, his, his clothing as well. He may take some attempt to smooth his hair and straighten himself, but he certainly does, still does not look like the way he did when he entered. But there's a little touch. I don't know if you saw, I don't know if you, or, well, you probably, I mean, there's no way you couldn't see it, but I don't know if it, it I don't know if it clicked with people as much as it did with me, because, you know, me so smart. He's leaving. This is his, this is, I mean, even in defeat, this should be his moment of defeat, of going out with dignity in class, and he gets on the elevator, and any other show that isn't Succession probably would have had him getting on the elevator, staring straight ahead, doors close. But Succession is a smarter show than most of the things that we've watched over the last 25 years. He gets in the elevator, and some other nondescript schmuck gets on the elevator as well. The indignity that he doesn't get to have that moment to himself. His his position is, you're nobody. You're what Roman just said just minutes earlier. You are nothing. Because you don't, you know... If Logan had left, someone isn't getting on the elevator with him. Kendall doesn't matter. Just, just some average Joe just gets on, whatever, and the door is closed. It just it shows how far he's fallen. And I thought that was such a nice little touch. And it's almost know it's not, I can't call it subliminal. It's right there in front of your face. But it says so much if you actually give it a moment's thought. And I gave it obviously. I gave it a lot of thought. I gave it. A, I gave it a paragraph's worth of thought. Apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean. The the fact that someone didn't even think about getting on the elevator with him, like didn't care. Yeah. It's just
0: after everything that happened in that room with Shiv and Roman and then when he comes back and he's trying to and it's like and Frank has to go, Ken, Ken it it's over. It's it's done, you know. This is just the the one more indignity he has to have. And now we were, you know if you're paying attention to where you are when you watch if you watched it live, if you're watching on HBO uh, excuse me, I keep saying I have to say it, Max, idiots. Uh, <laughs> you're like, okay, we're we're in the wrapping up stage of this episode. where we're 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 and we realize, okay, we're gonna see where we leave our main our main players here. You have Roman. Roman is we leave him in a bar. And, and in a lot of ways, and I think, uh, Jesse Armstrong said this on the, the, I, like when I rewatched, I watched it on Max and I, I watched a little, a part of the, uh, the little featurette thing they did at the end, the controlling the narrative thing they've been doing all se- season. And I think he makes a reference to Roman being back where he started. And he kind of is. It feels like he, Roman just went through a trial by fire. Is he going to be any, is he any worse than he was at? Other than the scars on his face that hopefully will heal, but he's going to have a bit more. He's going to have a bit more money in his account, and he's always. Kind of, I mean, while he wanted to impress his father, he's been the one who most wanted to kind of just. Oh, let's just do do my own thing, you know. So it's interesting with all the hell that he's got, put him gone through over the last couple episodes. Roman might be the one in the best place of the three. I think. Because then we have Shiv. I mean, I, mean I, I, I shouldn't keep talking. If you wanted to say anything about Roman, I shouldn't. Uh, I don't want to steamroll you here,
1: sir. No, I, I would like to say there is the moment that Roman, like, Kendall leaves and Roman does the last act as a CEO, which I think is telling that one of them has to sign the paperwork. Yes, yes. Good idea. And, good to bring and that up, Roman, Roman is the one. Kendall can't. Summon up the dignity to go in and act as the CEO he wanted to be to sign it. So Roman has
0: to. Right. I couldn't remember when the whole thing with them being interim, were they co was it that they were co CEO? Yes, okay. I couldn't remember if one had like a CEO and the other one had a COO title. I couldn't because no. Carl was CEO. F-O. He was a chief financial officer. Because we usually with companies, it's, it's chief executive officer, chief operating officer, and chief financial officer. So I thought maybe one of them was E-O and one of them was I I couldn't remember. Okay, thank you. I, w- I was kind of wondering about that because I couldn't remember, like, did they both hold the position so it just has to be one of them signing off on it? Or... Did he call himself the COO, which doesn't make sense because usually e- the CEO is is over COO. Okay, that right. makes sense. I'm gonna stop using the acronym. So.
1: No, I like that. That Roman and you know Roman has obvious anxiety about Jerry. And one little scene that happens here that I thought was kind of kind of funny that they you know everybody got a, at least a line of our favorite characters. Uh-huh. That the last thing we see of Carolina is she wants to get rid of
0: Hugo. <laughs> well, the great thing about Carolina and why they and one of the and her having her have that little moment where she says it to that's when she still thinks Shiv is going to be assuming the position, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. So, which that knits neatly to Tom after everything has has gone through, and we all know he's now going to be CEO. And of course, Weasley, as he is CEO, um excuse me, Hugo. Wow, that was a weird uh, slip there. Um, <laughs> kind of sidles up to him, and all Tom will say is like, "Where's, where's Carolina?" Yeah, Hugo already knows what that means. Yeah. Anyway, has he shrinks? He was like, "Yeah, y- your time is done." Oh, by the way, those other old two, those two old cunts over there, he doesn't want them around either. So we're gonna be saying goodbye to Fra- Frank and um, Carl. World. Jerry is, is, Jerry and Carolyn, they're the ones he's, he's going to stick with, which probably makes the most sense because of what we've seen, they might be the the best equipped people to keep around. So maybe Tom's making a wise choice there. Um, yeah. And I, I, I love the, the, the mawkish, you know, with, with, with the, uh, taking the photo together and, you know, Jesus and his disciples. And yes, we even got Judas in the room, which was like yeah. a great little one there because obviously, um, Lucas knows all about what happened because that's what when 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 he had to get everyone you know you know get the, get the soldiers up for battles because he finds out from Tom that you know it got spilled and he finds out from Greg, although I think I do believe Tom is fucking with Greg as he always does when he talks about how he says Madsen doesn't like him I'm like no Matson does like him even even there Matson does like I don't think Madsen has a problem with what he did because it's like that's part of what he knows about this person already you know so i don't have a it's tom fucking with him oh yeah before he yeah, puts endlessly. before he puts that sticker on his head <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is by the way that's a great little button to end to end with as far as their their relationship that he's still that at the end i'm gonna say it again at the end of the day yeah, you know, he's he's looking out for him and he's like and he kind of i if, if i'm gonna be curious about anything at the company it's like so I wonder what Greg's position will be at this point. Will he still will he have moved beyond being, you know, boy Greg at this point? Will he be making more than two hundred thousand? <laughs> will he get an office?
1: <laughs> not not for a little while, but but it, but it is uh the, the symbolism of the sticker that Tom the only thing Tom wants of Logan's property is a Greg. Yeah, it's perfect. So we have Tom leaving.
0: And he's already mentioned to Shiv that, you know, he's getting a car and they can can leave together. So they're in the car together. Um, Other than her saying congratulations, and he's like, kind of like, no, 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 whatever. But they don't look at each other. And he does put his hand out, you know, in between them, you know, palm up. And she puts her hand, she rests her hand fairly limply on top of it. They don't clasp hands. They never look at each other and it drives off. And I'm going to have something more to say about this in a couple of minutes, but it's, but just in this moment right now, chronologically speaking in the episode, it's a really striking little moment here. It's a, there's a little bit of a graduate homage here as well. It's, it seemed to be a thing for a couple of finales that I saw this week, because something else also had a graduate homage in it. Um, everything we've seen these two go through for this season and where they are here. And you, what I love about the performances, especially with these two, especially with her here, you can imagine all the things that are going on behind her eyes and what, because she is, she ultimately, we go from the beginning of the episode where I said that her words may, were if they didn't directly lead to Tom being picked for CEO, they played a pretty hefty part to the end, where her vote is what puts him in the seat, and she did that even though it was probably in some ways it wasn't what she would want, and how did she see her future from this point on? You know that. I mean, I, we can we can Shiv fans can be positive and say, oh, but she'll have some sort of um impact and still don't want that's not what she wants she doesn't want to be she doesn't want to be hillary to bill here that's not what she wants and also as you said earlier lucas doesn't want a guy with ideas and lucas will know if anything's coming from shiv he's dealt with her so that pretty much cuts her off at the knees as far as her trying to have any influence here on the, on the actual CEO Tom. So it, it put it boxes Shiv in a really odd position and you combine all that with the fact and she's pregnant. So it's a it's not a, I think
1: it leaves her in a pretty bad spot myself. I think she's in a terrible spot, but the one thing about Tom is until he went to Logan, Uh, At the end of last season, he's the only man that wanted her, you know, he wanted more of her than she would give. And all the other men told her they wanted her, but really didn't. Right, right. Okay. Okay. I can see that.
0: I mean, it's interesting how we've seen Tom... Perhaps more than other characters, at least this season and and last season too, actually, um, he has he has these massive moments of sincerity with her, um, which is something maybe maybe they all could use in their lives. You know, someone who's actually st- straight up honest with them, um, but not in a damning way, the way their father or belittling the way their father was. So then we get to the tragic story, and and you can, although I'm I'm probably going to contradict this in a couple of minutes, but before I get to that eventual contradiction, the main tragic thread of succession from the very beginning to the very end has been Kendall's story more than any of the other siblings or Logan himself, mm-hmm. and because this is the person whose life was built around. The ascension to that throne, as we saw in the very beginning of the series. So here we are with him, and he's walking. He's walking alone, although he's actually being watched over by Colin, that he had, the dude he had hired back, whatever. And we see him. He's walking through a park. He he's walking. He's semi metaphorically because because there's there's barriers and a, and a gate. I mean, not a gate. Um, fence, whatever. Um, he, but he's walking to the water's edge, and it's the elemental water. That I think has followed Kendall from the very first season. The water where we saw the death of a waiter, uh, to all the way to the swim that he had in this episode. And we've seen him walk or stare at the water or go, or there was an episode earlier this season where he has that moment to himself, whatever. Everything seems to come back to that. The fact that he finds out about the death of his father on a boat is not to be uh dismissed either the fact that there's that scene between him and his siblings in an earlier season finale where they're all kind of you know uh commiserating with each other and it's on a dock with with a boat there everything there seems to be a water theme with him all the time and i think with the water and really it's tracing back mainly to the death of the waiter the water is a reminder of it's the finality of death a reminder of mortality. And it's about the guilt that he has that courses kind of courses through his veins, just like all those addictions that he's had. Um And quite frankly, if Colin's not standing there and then the clo- the very last shot, we, we, we see Kendall from in profile staring out the water, but we also see Colin standing right in the background, kind of out of focus, but he's being watched over. Colin's not there. He might be jumping in or jumping off, quite frankly, because Roman can start over. Roman's back where, like we said, he's he's back at the starting line. He can, you know, he can do everything, and he's got billions of dollars on top of it. Shiv is boxed in, but Shiv can find Shiv can find other purpose in her life, you know. And the fact she is an expect—I mean, I, I don't want to reduce it to motherhood, but she is an expectant mother. That is, if you have something. "Quote unquote," to look forward to. You do have that, and she does have her political connection. She she can go back there and and do that. This is what Ken, this is all that Kendall's life has been about, and now it's been taken away from him for for good. Could he start another business? Of course he could. Is it likely to do well? There haven't been great indications that that he, <laughs> that, that, that that he would be successful in anything. What because he he can pile a lot of phrases really fast together that's not really proof of being a great businessman so uh you know you, you, could, you could be the next eric trump i don't know so it, it, it's i think the i think and again i talked about the show being it's incredibly predictable but we just don't think about it until it happens and it's like oh of course it has out of course it has to hap- it end with Kendall being at the lowest low because there's been nothing that's happened that make would make us think he should he should end up on top. So shame shame on me, shame on all of us for any of us thinking. I don't know, Kendall's gonna no, no. He you realize at a certain point in the episode, no, no. He's the least likely person to end up in that chair. <laughs> you
1: know? Well, I have two things to say sure. about the water. Uh, one is uh, I think the water symbolizes Logan. And here's why, um, you know, th- he's at his lowest when the waiter dies. Um, and Logan then uses that as leverage over him early in the show. Uh, now, he's in water a lot in this show, but I, I'm not going to recite all the instances. But the one this season that comes to mind is he kills it at Living Plus, And before they can leave and go back, you know, to the East Coast, he goes to the ocean. And it's him connecting triumphantly, you know, in the water, uh, floating in the water, having just realized one of his dad's final projects. And it's a happy moment like uh, and then at the end, it's him looking at the raging ocean that was his dad and how, you know, the water and, and all it symbolizes is him and his dad and that's what I think it, it represents to him. Um, and and I, I almost wonder the way they framed it and did it, if, like, he'll ever get in the water again. Like, the way he looks at the ocean, he's not only forlorning, you know, what he's lost, but sees like he's cut off from ever being, you know, his dad and recreating his dad. And he's, you know, if the ocean symbolizes his dad, there's a barrier there uh, between him and his dad that that he can't navigate and people will make sure he can't navigate like Colin. And the one thing I did want to say, they did shoot him from behind. But unlike the beginning of the credits, they shot him directly from behind and spun around to show him. And he was completely defeated and beaten. Um, you know that if you look at that shot, it's pretty much the framing of the opening credits. So
0: I'll go along on that one. Uh, the first point I would probably say that's not a bad interpretation at all. I would probably push it further. I would say water represents parents not simply his father because returning to the water is returning in utero and the water always you know, he didn't kendall didn't exactly have a great mom either and so but of the two his mother would suppose should represent someone you know the more affectionate to this it. it's it's the mother the maternal whatever so it's almost almost as an escape from his father. Of course, we also remember there were things during the seasons where Logan, you know, on a, you know with his own boat and they were on the ship, whatever. Yeah, it. But but when when I say death, but his father is dead now, so that's a, right. The, the, the same, so they kind of become you know hand in hand there. I want to say one other thing about the end here. And what I'm saying, this this is also me not, I'm probably not going to say much else about the rest of the episode, so just letting you know that ahead of time. Um, In case you want to reach back for anything, it's going to be without my help. There's something to be said for what I call the closing shots of um, series finales. And I'm really talking about series that were um, the more artistic, the more sophisticated um, television series of the last, you know, 20 odd years. You know, the shows like. You know the Sopranos, of course, the Shield. You can say Six Feet Under. You can say Mad Men. Whatever. So I was thinking about the way this episode ended and the final moment and the final shot, and I was wondering to myself, um, could it have been more, or was it enough? Because those other things I mentioned, obviously Sopranos. It's like polarizing, though it may have been at the time. It's become iconic. You always remember the smash cut to black after the dinosaur. you know, the shield is a person who's lost everything, his family, his job, his meaning, and he's created a different sort of prison for himself. And he hears the police sirens outside and realizes that his life that he's had all this time is gone. And we end on that, on that note. Which in which always makes you think. I bet that character kills himself a week later, just like his partner did earlier in that season. Everybody knows how Six Feet Under ends. You to go. Mad Men. It's Don Draper's smile, which you think, oh, it's a Zen moment, then you realize, no, that's the cynical smirk of an advertising guy. Because we're going to cut right to the mo- one of the most iconic commercials of all time, and what he and how he became this. Breaking Bad is the end of where we're, it's it's. Walter White dying and we and the camera rises up and there are some who might misinterpret that as it's the heaven shot. It's like, no, it's not. He's dropping away from the camera. It's the hell shot. This is Walter White dying and he's going... You know, he may have his moment of heaven where he dies with his, his equipment, but he's going to hell. So we have the final shot of this, which is Kendall, shot from the side, um, looking at, I don't mind the shot. I don't mind... To, to, a, to a degree. And I did say just moments ago, overall, if you go from season one to now, the story has been more Kendall's story than anybody else's, as far as the Roy siblings are concerned. It's, more, it's the most overarching tragic tale as Kendall's. However, that is not how I believe they should have ended the episode. I think if, when you decide to do it that way, that's the next to last shot. I would have, I would have, rev- I would have done two things. I would have A, reversed the order of Kendall and Tom and Shiv. Tom and Shiv became more the story this season than even Kendall. That was that relationship as well as who, who gets the chair. It, it became the thing to talk about this season. You end it with them in the car. And her putting the hand slightly on his hand, although they're not looking at each other. And you end it there. You don't go to the exterior shot of the car going down the street. You end it with on them there. Congratulations. Oh, no, no, no. Hand out, hand on top of it, but not clasped. Looking, not looking at each other. You end there. It also therefore sets up the parallel to how the previous season ended which ended with the two of them, a shot on the two of them, Shiv and him behind her, um, realizing, and you see the look on her face and you real, she realizes the betrayal. Here it's realizing what's happened, and she and she bears the weight and the responsibility as anyone for it. Can she? Did she make the right decision? Can she live with what she just did? She, will she ever be able to talk to her brother again? Probably not. I don't know if Kendall would ever forgive this. Who knows? That's the sh- but the shot, the composition is like that. And I kept going. That's the end shot. Again, these are guys are professionals. They make you know hundreds and thousands or millions of dollars, and they're they know more than I do. I can't. I'm just saying my personal opinion. That's how I would have ended the episode. I just would have reversed them. It's still it's still a great ending. I think. But that would have, to me, it would have been the more memorable shot to end on. I just think that was the
1: shot to go with. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I totally think that the name of the show is Succession. They should have shown the the, the new king in the last shot and Shiv by his side. Yeah. And uh, th- that, that's what made the most sense to me. But I thought it was great. And the only other thought I would throw in that, that I found very... Very curious is uh, our mutual friend Daniel sent and uh, put an article and I don't know if you clicked on it, that um, there was a player in the 1920s World Series that's not famous, not in the Hall of Fame, that turned an unassisted triple play and his last name was Womscans, <laughs> spelled exactly like Tom's. And I would love to know if the if the writer, if that was, you know, the inspiration. But I found that a fascinating tidbit. And, it you know, I looked at after Dan put that up, I did a little bit of research um, and it was, you know, because succession has become such a cultural issue. Uh, like the sporting news online actually did an article. So I think they could talk about succession and probably try to get clicks to mention the baseball player that, you know, might be a spoiler for the, the succession finale. So I found that, found that interesting. Um, I think it would depend on how heavily
0: other writers were involved in the decision-making here beyond Jesse Armstrong. I'm not sure if, um i could be i don't know that much about jesse you know i but i'm just going on the i'm not sure if the british dude knows is gonna know much about 1920s american baseball um but it, i love the idea of it you know it's 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 kind of like cricket so <laughs> i guess anything is possible
1: it is a rather uncommon name so it's certainly possible uh i i did not see that article so, final thoughts on on Succession as a as a work, as a complete work now.
0: Uh I said it when we first started talking about it in the um in our little prelude to everything we were going to do this this for this season and maybe when we've done our best of a couple times over the years, um it's among the shows I most regret not watching from the start. Um Don't don't know why I didn't, but I didn't. But, you know, I didn't watch Breaking Bad from the very start either, so it it happens. The fact that it found a way to have a, a, a show that was about finance and money and not as easily digestible as maybe a show like Dallas was when I was a kid. Although I don't feel this is a soap opera, although some say otherwise it's a soap opera the way every other show is a soap opera, you know? Um, but to watch such incredibly deeply and darkly drawn characters and to not really have a true rooting interest. And I love that the show proves you don't have to have that. You know, and we've watched other shows that kind of do that to a certain degree as well. Breaking Bad becomes that kind of a show after, at a certain point, for some people. Oh, I root for Jesse. Yeah, shut up. Um, or other shows, or The Shield is certainly kind of like that at a certain point. Like, oh, I guess we should root for the other cast, but they kind of don't even bother going after him anymore, so who cares? Um, I, I always say, no, no. It's not important that they're likable as much as they're compelling and you can't take your eyes off them. And the one thing that Succession does better than almost any other show I've seen is every single one of these characters, even when they only spend a brief moment on screen, you instantly get the entire picture of who and what they are. And the dialogue is so perfectly tailored to each character and so precise and yet can sound completely improvised at the same time i mean think about kieran culkin's character roman and how much that sounds like he's just riffing on his own and again he might there may be moments he does he might be pulling a bill murray from time to time but i'm saying odds are 90 something percent of that is written But between his performance and the way it's written, it's it doesn't feel that way. The way that Snook delivers her lines and how she does, I noticed there's little things her character does, where where she'll say yeah at the end of things, where it kind of shows more of her her root her 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 ethnic roots. And I was like, is that more about the character or the actress? Because it's it's interesting when we think about you know their both their parents are not. American per se, but it's because they spent most of their lives living here, they don't have the accents, but she kind of betrays it a little bit. Of course, the actress herself has a pretty strong pretty strong brogue. If i know. wait, she I forget is she Irish or English? I can't remember what she I
1: is. I don't I don't remember, she, but when she talks, it's jarring.
0: Yeah, it, she's yeah. And same with Tom, actually. He's <laughs> another one like, oh my god, they're all <laughs> <laughs> I think Jeremy Strong and um, Karen Gillan and were not quite frankly, um, it's. I thought they stuck the landing. I I can't. I if I um, there was there's a little part of me that wanted more, but then I thought it was like, well, what more would I want? I can't think of anything else I'd want. I, I you couldn't get, and I realized what they did was, as. As reprehensible as these people could be at times to each other and in general, mm. part of me, there was part of me that kind of wanted to see one of them win out. And, and, and when at the end, and at, at the end of the day, here we go. Uh, <laughs> I realized, no, if the show is going to be true to what it's been for all this time, none of them can win out. And let's be happy. Tom in the chair makes sense. It ain't
1: Bran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, my, my final thoughts before we go to Barry is uh, I, I thought it was great. I don't know. I don't have the, the appropriate distance from it to to think where I'd put it. Right. But I will say this. I don't think I need any more distance to say this. Um, I would put the acting of this cast against any show maybe ever in the history of television shows. Yeah. Um, I think from the bit players to the recurring characters to the lead actors, uh, even our favorite shows that we love, you know, they're they're not all bangers. You know, if this show was an album, there might be one bad song on it. Um, the, The quality of acting in this show might be the number one acted show of all time. And that's interesting.
0: I I've think about that. that. That might be fodder for a, uh, a future podcast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I, I feel, I feel that way. Uh, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I thought they stuck the landing. I, I like you. I'm left wanting more. Uh, and the winner of succession was Logan because, you know, like the sale he wanted went through and none of the kids got to ride his bomb down to earth as Dr. Strange love <laughs> and destroy his legacy. So, Uh, But great show, hope you all enjoyed it, and and we can talk about another finale now if you want.
0: Yeah, I think that might be a good idea. I think we're probably not going to, as a result of that, probably not going to talk, not not what you just said, just in general, probably not going to spend as long. But let's see, because we're talking about the series finale of Barry, titled, wow. So I'm going to look, I look at the episode this way. Um... Do we want to, do we want to give our, no, should we wait till after we've talked about the episode to give our opinion? Yeah, we'll wait till the end of it. Okay. I think this episode comes down to the, it comes down to a number of like significant scenes. I think the first significant scene in the episode, because it's interesting, Barry's a show that you kind of, even though it's, 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 it's supposedly a comedy, we kind of, you almost have to address it like, a, like you would address any dramatic series. And the first scene that's of any really importance here is, pure drama, not, nothing to laugh at at all, that Sally scene with her son, John, early on. I think it's a hugely important scene for Sally. It goes to everything that we've been talking about, um, since, they, especially since they did eight years forward, but also for the season overall, and even going back to the previous season. I'll say for myself that I have probably not given... And the fact I didn't write down her name, so I can't even, oh, god damn it. Do you remember, do you know what the actress's name is? It plays
1: Goldberg, out. Sarah, Sarah Goldberg, maybe?
0: I hope, let's hope it is, because I, I didn't, I didn't look up any character's name. Because, you know what it is? Because all the other actors are names I knew already. You know, I, I mean, I know Bill Hader, I know Stephen Root, you know, I know Henry Winkler, and I know the guy who plays Hank is, um, it's, um, Anthony, Cadrigan K- or Carrigan or something like
1: it's that. It's Sarah Goldberg. I was Sarah right. Goldberg. Thank you.
0: Excellent. Um, I was never, I was never the biggest fan of that character at the outset of the show. Um, but they start once she started getting involved in the Hollywood machine, she became a much more interesting character to me. And when she, you know, with all the stuff that happens with the Joplin. Um, TV show that she was trying trying to get done, and then her her explosion on the in the elevator, um, and everything. This season and this scene really kind of seals the deal and make and makes me do a total reversal of how I felt about it from the get go, to the point where I could make a case that she hers might be the most impressive performance on the entire series. Um, the the power of the scene with her son and the fact that she's actually she's actually damning herself more than she should because unlike Barry she's not a murderer. the person she killed was, it was clearly in self-defense and would have mur- would have killed her um but she does have she does strip herself bare you know metaphorically speaking about how she's been a bad mother how she hasn't been, and we've seen that. We already know that, but when you see a character actually own up to it and, and have regret over it, it's just, it's a, it's a really powerful scene. It's, it's, I think it's a hard scene to play off the, the kid who's, he's a fine child actor, whatever, just, eh, whatever. But, um, I, I thought that, that, that early on in the episode, and then when they separate them right, right after that, it's kind of like, oof, it's 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 a lot of dramatic heft to start the episode off with. I thought,
1: yeah, it is, and um, she really is the, you know, she's the counterweight to Barry in that he's done terrible things and wants to minimize them, and she's done very little bad but maximizes it, right, and right. she she is taking responsibility in a way that he should and and doesn't want to. Right. It's it's
0: it's it's almost. If not polar opposites, it's, it's very close to it. Um, it, it. Yeah. So now, again, there are now we do get some get ga- slight gags sprinkled in here and there. Not not much. Uh, I you know Barry going back to the Walmart for guns is in the way that's done is kind of is kind of amusing and also kind of tells you something about society and like. Wow. We don't, we don't have Walmarts here in New York City, but wait, if we did, could, could we buy guns here too? I don't know if we could. Um, him strapping all the guns to his back and then getting in the, trying to get in the car was ridiculous. But really, let's get to the next big thing. It's the, and it, to, in some ways, it's, it's one of the highlights of the episode overall. And it's the Hank Fuchs showdown. If someone had told me when this show started that the character who I think would, that I believe has the biggest journey of self-discovery and becomes totally self-aware and true to themselves and also able to be that perceptive about others, and that character was going to be Fuchs, I went, what? What? No, that doesn't even make sense. It's gotta be, it's gotta be one of the acting idiots. can't be. (laughs) No What Stephen Root I'm going to refer to Stephen Root's an actor I've been a fan of For 30 something years From news I mean he did stuff Before news radio But from news radio To now Every single time I've seen Stephen Root It could be in the silliest Comedy like Office Space to you know, whatever intense dramas he's been in over the years, I and mean, we've seen him in many. We, we whenever we've we've talked about several shows over the years where, hey, and Stephen Root, hey, like apparently, hey, that's Stephen Root. Like, hey, hey, you know how I don't? You know why I don't like Book of Boba Fett? You wasted Stephen Root. Um, it's such a great monologue for him that when he's you know, and it's done in a, a fairly somewhat medium to tight close up. And it's him taking stock of everything, how he was beaten to within an inch of his life day after day. And he came to these realizations about himself and whatever. And then you realize why he wants his whole thing about wanting Barry might not be what we thought. It's, which is, which is fascinating. And he's, he's 100% right about Hank. We knew that already, but when he really gets to the heart of it and he gets through to Hank. And it seems like Hank is actually going to go along with this because he's, he's admitting it until he doesn't. And then in, in, in insane Barry fashion, (laughs) you know, Barry, (laughs) the show, not the character, you know, we get an immediate bloodbath that happens. It happens in, it's, it's like the blink of an
1: eye and everyone's been blown, is, is maimed and blown away. And, and I like that most of the people aren't dead. They're just laying there groaning. Right. It, right. It's really it's it's really an interesting choice. And, and of course, you know, because it's the final sort of battle scene. We don't know at the time, but you have the guy throw the grenade and boom, an impressive stunt piece with with those actors. But um, you know, I thought of this and, and I, don't, I I don't know that it popped to the front of your mind. But it's kind of funny that if someone wanted to do the connection between us and Steven Root, that all the shows we podcasted about, about, he's been on all of them. He was on Perry Mason as Maynard Barnes. Right. He was on Succession and gave the speech on that.
0: Oh, yeah, that's
1: right. And now he's been on the—now, you know, and he's been a tour de force on on Barry. So, like, it, it's really the uh, Stephen Root, you know, uh, centered podcast. And we're big fans of his and love him. And th- the way his character was treated in this episode and what happened with him was my favorite part of the episode.
0: Yeah, I, I think Fuchs steals the episode. I think he steals the season to a, to a certain extent as well. The fact that in this moment, in this horrific bloodbath, he throws himself on top of the kid, he saves the kid, and then delivers the son to Barry, and they just exchange looks, and then he walks, he walks, he's, he goes back, and that's and that that, that that's Fuchs, you know, that's fug- leaving the you know, ex- ex- exit sc- screen left or whatever, or the stage left, whatever. I like, oh, and I knew, like, okay, that's the last we're seeing of Fuchs not the character i expected to end the series on a positive note but that's what just happened that's what just happened
1: um and and to 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 be fair when he covers the kid your first thought is he's kidnapping him and gonna hold him hostage to lure barry in and and so it's it's a great misdirect that barry who always is going in and kicking ass doesn't kick any ass like he he just gets his son and you know did you think the way they framed fuchs was a callback to that scene earlier in the season where the man was standing in the distance in barry's dream and and he, you know and we thought they probably hired a stand-in i thought it was a callback to you know barry's memories of, of fuchs Uh, Oh, I hadn't
0: thought of that. That's actually a good catch. That makes a lot of sense. Oops. I apologize to the microphone again.
1: I I think if you watch it and think about it, if you rewatch it, I think it's a callback to that sort of, you know, white sand scene of of Barry on one side and pukes in the distance.
0: Interesting. I had not thought of that. Okay. um, And of course, and, and, and Hank dies. And I kinda assumed one of them was gonna die, if not both. Both would have been the I think both would have been the obvious way to go. So by not them both not killing each other, they kinda went away from the obvious. So it be it being Hank and him almost posing himself the way he does <laughs> it's kind of uh that that's a little extra. That that's dramatic a, that's a, till the end. Yeah that's that's Hank. A, that seems right for Hank. So then what I'll skip from over to is Barry and Sally. Cause I love that we just keep hearing Sally. We don't know where, it's like, okay, where is she exactly? We keep hearing her. You know, she's, apparently she was hiding behind a column or something I read somewhere or heard somewhere. I don't remember. They didn't show it to us. I thought that was kind of a, one of the many interesting choices that a hater makes for this episode. But eventually Barry and Sally are together and they're, I guess they're going to sleep in a motel room. And Sally, that's when Sally is basically telling him, "Mm, you got to turn yourself in. And Barry's already like, no, 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 you know, I, you know, I, Barry feels he's been absolved. And the, and the fact that this all happened and he didn't even have to do anything, he feels is almost like some sort of divine intervention.
1: Sign and from it, God.
0: Yeah. Cause, and because he's really kind of burrowing his way into the whole religious, not fanaticism exactly, but just, you know, I, you know, I've been, I've been reborn, whatever, even though, Everything you were about to do kind of shows you're not, you know. You, you know, with, with all the guns you're buying, and and even the prayer he kind of says is like, "Wow, that's that's a prayer with a whole lot of caveats." that I don't, I never heard of a god that's going to be okay with all that. Wow, you've but what, what podcast are you listening to now, Barry? <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I felt when they had that scene and. I, I knew that we were going to be, he wakes up tomorrow and they're gone. I knew that was going to happen. I think that was just like, boom, okay, that's, she's going to leave with the kid at that point, whatever. Um, and I guess that's when he goes to Jean's. And that's when we were catching up with Gene. And apparently everyone has basically turned against Gene now and he's going to be going to prison. You know, his son is against him, believes, you know, this was a part of the plan all along. It, it doesn't look good for Gene. There's only one person who can possibly really provide the information and counter this that could actually save Gene. And that's the guy who shows up at his door. <laughs> that's Barry. And Barry has that little conversation with the dude who's his lawyer or whatever heck he is, um, agent. <laughs> I think it's his agent, actually. Agents are lawyers, usually. And I do love the, okay, here, here's the thing. I love the idea that either Gene isn't paying attention and doesn't know, or Gene just doesn't, is just doesn't care. He's going to turn himself in. He's telling the club. And the first shot, you see a chest shot, whatever, is like, okay. And as we're all watching, like, okay, he, he could still be okay. And then when we get the wow. And they cut to black. They did it. They almost did it. They did almost in a Sopranos on us for a second. They was like, wait, there's way more time left in this episode. <laughs> and then we come out of it and we see, that's when we see it was a kill shot. And, and then we're like, wait a minute. I don't think the shock is Barry dies. The shock is, wait, how much? We've got another 10 minutes to go. What, did, did you just kill the main character on a quote unquote comedy with 10 minutes to go? That would be like spending an entire show waiting to meet somebody, waiting to meet somebody's mother. Then in the final episode, you meet her, but oh, guess what? She's got cancer and going to die. Oh wait, well, that's a different show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, we talked earlier in the season. Would there be a time jump? And we wondered if that we we had wondered. Originally, if the Salt Flats or or White Sands or whatever of Texas were a dream or a time jump, turns out it's a time jump, and then lo and behold, we get another one. We get another one,
0: right. So, uh, I, I didn't have a problem with killing Barry there. There's a tragic note to it, not just the death of Barry, but also, Gene just killed the one person who could probably have kept him out of prison, so, with this death, Gene remains, in real life, the villain, and now we're going to fast forward another X number, probably probably another eight, you know, probably it's, probably it's another eight years, because if the, if it was, this was eight years, and that kid, which means that kid has to be at least seven, or he can't be more than eight, and the kid we see eight years later is clearly a high school kid, he's a high school kid, he's a different actor, which who, he's from It, actually. Um... Not the, uh, I don't think he's the, he's not the kid from it who's the younger version of Bill Hader. I don't think though, which would have been really funny if they went, if, if they cast that way. That'd have been interesting. But I did recognize him as like, Oh, he's the, he's like the main kid from it. Okay. Nice. Bill Hader's worked with him. So he knows. Or anyway. Um, so yeah, we fast forward in time and Sally's a high school drama teacher now. Um, and we 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 get some scenes with her. With, you know, the kids doing our. Of course, the kids are doing our town. Of course, it's always it's always our town. Um, You know, some other person, uh, teacher, there meets her and try, actually tries to very politely tries to hit on her, and she's like, "No, not, not interested in going to coffee, whatever." Kind of like that. Um, But she's giving her son permission to go hang out and stay over his friend's house, and that's where we see. He's going to watch a movie that he hasn't gotten he hasn't been allowed or gotten a chance to see in whatever number of years since it came out. And when we see the movie is called The Mask Collector, I was like, oh, I think I know what I think I know what this is going to be. And we see this the the Hollywood version of the story of Gene and Barry. And it goes to how this show started. Show starts with, uh, you know, with a hitman stands in for the regular person, but he, he, he ends up joining an acting class. And then from that point on, we see the ridiculousness of not just, you know, how actors go about things, but also Hollywood, which we see to a further extent in all the scenes with Sally that go from there and Gene early on. So of course, we're going to see, well, this is what Hollywood does and how they, they're going to bastardize the story. To such a ridiculous extent, and yet, and yet, you think about you know, this is exactly how it would would be played. Now, my disappointment, I think it's obvious. You know, I didn't care that we see that the guy playing Barry is he's nobody. I mean, he's I mean, I don't mean to shortchange the actor, but it ain't Mark Wahlberg. Let's put it that way. Right. It's a very nondescript, generic, whatever. I I mean, the guy. No offense. He'll never listen to this podcast. Who cares? I can't be the only person who was like, who was like, tightly, at least it's not literally, but figuratively, crossing your fingers, like, please tell me you got Daniel Day Lewis just to just to come out of retirement for just one day, just to be Gene. Please tell me, just make, even do a deep fake thing with his face. I don't care. But no, it wasn't. It was this other actor who I think I've seen from. I think he was on Severance actually, because uh, he has that very distinct uh hairline and eyebrow kind of thing. I think he was on Severance if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, and the whole tale is told as though Jean is just a total villain, and we and and the ep, and the movie and and we're watching the kid watching it, and he is at least somewhat emotionally impacted by it. And the series ends with the way the film ends with the postscript at the end, which is just kind of sort of ridiculous, but it's exactly, you know, but it also informs us it's like also gene is 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 in prison to this day (laughs) okay and 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 barry's now been given this kind of this this whitewashing of what he was and what he did which
1: i suspect might actually
0: have been the case
1: yeah yeah i i I, this show was maybe since community since the comedy community was maybe as meta as any show I've seen, I mean, it was meta about acting meta about Hollywood in this episode. It, you know, it's, it's meta about guns, um, you know, the way Hollywood does real stories and basically meta about storytelling and that the stories that we tell other people and we tell ourselves, uh, and the power of that, that, that in many ways, it's more powerful than the truth.
0: Yeah it it it's a sh- it's a it's a it's a show that ha- seems to have something to say, and although some of these things have probably been, I mean, Hollywood has been mocked and acting has been mocked enough times before, but it's still a, it's still a new and fresher a fresh approach the way they approached it in the show. Um, the show took a lot of chances throughout its run. Um, especially as we got to this final season. And you know, I know there's a lot of people who kind of abandon ship. I know, I, it, it did have, like I said, especially, especially once they went to the eight year jump. And we said that, that initial episode a few, a few weeks ago. Like I said it's probably, it's easily the most polarizing episode of this, of the series, period. You know, it's, it's vaguely reminiscent of, and you know, you can kind of point to other shows that, that take chances like that. We were talking about a show like that last year. Better Call Saul kind of took a chance by doing. It's like, okay, now we're going to do an entire episode, you know, in black and white with this other character that Odin Kirk is playing, and we're going to skip. We're just going to skip over everything else that we were like we thought we were building up to, and a lot of us, I mean, the two of us here, and a lot of our friends, we we loved what they were doing. We, We we got it. And it was like, okay, we're bringing this all together. We, we get what you're doing. And you don't need to fill in the blanks because, you know what? A certain show called Breaking Bad actually filled in a lot of those blanks for us already. But we, but it was still kind of take, even just filming in black and white, it's kind of taking a chance. Even, you know, abandoning the characters that we had seen, you know, for the last five years. And they kind of do that in Barry. It's kind of like, okay, because Barry himself is never what he was before. The 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 changes he underwent in those eight years, he's never the way he was before, and he was a he was already a damaged person before. But it's interesting how that to me the bigger chance was, this is not the Barry that I've seen for the previous number of seasons. This is not the Sally that I've seen for those previous number of seasons, you know. And those are, those are our two key characters at this point in the story, because they're the fugitives. They're the ones who are, you know, they're the ones that the story is pinned on, whatever. So in a weird way, I think the show ends up working well, fine in the final season, but almost more as a, as a dramatic series with the occasional absurdity and, and laugh here and there. Much like other drama series have had occasional. The Sopranos could be extremely funny, you know. But the drama series. I think Barry kind of became that. And I think maybe there were some who might not have been ready for that kind of a transition. Because before this season, although there would obviously be a number of dramatic moments, you know, dealing with murders and the death of the girlfriend and Gene and becoming kind of being a, becoming going from being a goofball to being very stoic, it was still kind of there was much more of a balance of comedy and drama this season i think it leaned more into the dramatic aspect of it but i don't take away from that because i thought it was it was really well constructed and done it's a joy for the ears it's a joy for the eyes do i love this episode and this ending i gotta think about it i I, it it, i i kind of sat there like going huh I, and I was like, I think I'm okay with this. It's one of the, and it becomes a situation. I'll, I'll let you speak now. Um, is there something that I would have preferred or would have wanted more out of it? Maybe. Do I have a, do I have an idea at the top of my head right now what they could have done? Not at the top of my head. Is there a different fate I would have wished for certain characters? I don't know if I do. I think it doesn't shock me that Barry would die. Sally got her life back together. Fuchs, when we left them, what also, Hank, I feel bad about Hank dying, but you're involved in that. But, you know, when, when when you're when you're in the business, that's going to happen. It kind of and either Hank or Fuchs has to die. And when we realize that Fuchs is the one who's owned up to everything and is not in denial about anything anymore, Hank remains that way. It's going to be Hank. And we talked about our feelings about Gene. It's like, you know. I know I'm going on longer than I meant to. I apologize. But I also think maybe we might have. At least I'll just speak for myself. I don't want to speak for you. I might have been a little bit harder on Gene than I should have been. Because I I kind of still moved away from the thought. Like, yeah, this guy did murder your girlfriend and was threatening you and your son. Even if he was doing it under your auspices, but I love you, Mr. Cousin, Mr. Cousineau, but he kept doing these horrible things to you. That's probably going to leave a mark. Though so maybe his actions might be more, I, I might, I should have probably given him more credit. His actions might be a lot more justified than maybe I wanted to say before.
1: Really what the, the comedy was turned down and the dramatic effects of trauma on all these people was turned up this season. Uh, um, and Barry was the hurricane that caused the trauma to all these people. Um, you know, he pierced the make believe world of Hollywood for Sally and Jean and, uh, you know, brought real drama into their lives. And, um, you know, I thought what Jean did, it's tragic in that at the moment, Barry agreed to do what he should have done. And, you know, but, but, it wasn't completely selfless. Anybody that thinks he's St. Barry, he only agrees to do it because now he knows that, that Sally has left him, uh, when Sally and the kid aren't there because he's looking for them, And, you know, when, when he knows they've left him and he knows what that means, that, that she can't be with him anymore because he won't take responsibility. Uh, that's when he, you know, he's lost John and he's lost her. So, um, uh, what happens to him is understandable, but it, it, it is it is tragic for Cousineau, Um and it, it's tragic that the world now will believe the narrative of, of the movie. That's what's probably the saddest is that, you know, he, he does bear some responsibility and might even have went to prison for taking some money. But the fact that he's now seen as a murderer and a manipulator when really he was a victim is is what's what's the real tragedy. But um, I think if there's one thing I liked, I liked that Fuchs became the actual the only like self-realized person in that timeline. And we get to see that Sally has realized a better life in, in her timeline. Uh, and as far as the episode, uh, right now, I like it. I don't love it. Um, I, I don't know how I will feel, you know, later. And I think it, the episode was hurt by the fact that I watched succession. Yeah. And then watched this and that the finale for succession, I thought it was so strong that maybe, maybe if I'd watched this, you know, a couple of days after I watched that, I wouldn't judge it as harshly. I, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think, I think if
0: there had been at least a day or two apart between the two, um, we might hold Barry in higher regard than I think we both do. Um, I'm same here. I, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, I'm glad it was. I'm glad it was good enough so that if I know someone who hasn't watched Barry, I feel no problem telling them you need to watch the show that they won't that they won't be crushed by the ending being off. It won't be like I made a joke about how I met your mother before like and I really liked the show like that for a good- a good stretch of time. It did go on longer than it needed to, but the final season and episode is so especially is so irritatingly bad. I can't tell someone to watch. I was like, why don't you just watch these five episodes? That's, that's enough for you. Um, there was something you said I wanted to, uh, to, to hook back to. I'm just trying to remember what it was now. I kind of, I should, I should have taken a note while you were talking. Um, give me a second. Let me see if it'll come back to me here. Barry Gene, That's it. Okay. um, the interesting thing with Gene, if you think, I mean, even though it happened, it was said, I think, in the previous episode, so it didn't happen in the finale. Jean Cousineau is set up as this acting teacher from the get go. Gene Cousineau is not a good actor. We've that—that's that, the joke to begin with—is like someone who's clearly not a good actor is the person who's become an acting teacher. Mm-hmm. Much the way – it was just funny how Sally at least also briefly kind of followed in his footsteps. Also not the best actor, but going to be an acting teacher. Was <laughs> it Those who can't do, teach. But he believes himself to be a great actor, but he's not. Until at the end, or the last episode, now everybody does think he's a great actor. Jim Moss even says, you are a great actor. Yeah. all that. And, it's like, and 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 then become it's come it becomes the frustrating thing. It's like but but he's not <laughs> but they all so it's like on one hand he gets something he's always wanted that everyone believes that you are like this great actor but unfortunately it's not in a role where you're going to be taking the stage and winning an award it's you're you're going to be wrongfully um convicted of a crime and go to prison for it Right. So, and and unless you get lucky and and get and have a fuchs like transformation there, it's probably not going to go well
1: for you. (laughs) Yeah, and and the funny thing, not only a great actor, but if you believe the narrative of the movie, he's also like a great teacher and mentor, a la Colonel Tom Parker, who had complete sway over Barry, his student, and made him you know do whatever he wanted him to do.
0: Which is funny because that's really if if anyone was ever even remotely like that. On the series, it would have been Fuchs back, in yes. at least at least in season one, right. if if not as much later on. So, so I I get that there you know there are some who might have felt it was anticlimactic or it was kind of a downer or whatever. It's like, well, the downer thing shouldn't have been much of a surprise, unfortunately. Although it's always a it, 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 again, whenever a show is supposedly supposed to be a comedy and then it ends on kind of a down note, so it's kind of like, oh, that didn't feel right. Um, but at least this is a show that always, ha- was always at least 50-50 comedy drama, and they just lean more, as we said, lean more, became more almost like 80-20 or 90-10 drama in this final season, especially this final stretch. So this isn't gonna make you feel like crap the way, say, one of those, one of those final Roseanne episodes, they're like, oh, and they killed your husband too. Wait, what? <laughs> anyway. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I like the finale. Did they stick the landing? Uh, I, I'd say, uh, you know, like when when Mary Lou or any of those gymnasts would do the thing where their their feet would hit the mat, and then they would have that that extra kind of like stutter step. They stayed upright; they didn't fall, but they got docked points for it. That's kind of where I'm leading here. It's like uh, it's it was. I, I I just I think I just wanted something just a little bit more, and maybe I didn't want to spend. I felt I wanted Deborah to be more Barry to be more involved in these last few episodes, and not just be the Barry of the, you know, the kind of the almost Mormon like Barry that he's become or something. He's not Mormon, I know, but you know what
1: I mean. Yeah. So maybe it, that took something away from it for me. The the only affectation of 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 old Barry really is just him saying "Wow," like it sounded like old Barry in his voice. That's and, true. That's true. That's, that's it.
0: True. Yeah, that's that's, that's, a, that's a funny catch, but you're right. And I did like the fact that was, that was the title of the episode. So yeah, cool. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's really all I have to say about it. I don't really think there's much more to say about Barry. Um, I knew this episode was going to be more succession-heavy, um, as it should
1: be. It should have been, and it was. Hour and a half episode, succession.
0: Yeah. Hey, oh, by the way, did you notice? Hour and a half for succession. Barry goes just over 11 cuz the next show didn't start till 11:05. So I know it's probably the lamest of predictions cuz it's like, "Oh wow, you you, you you sort of kind of got the times of the episodes right. Ooh, yay. And not get anything else right?" But okay. I <laughs> 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 well, we can set our DVR to you, Scott. Anyway. <laughs> um I know I I know we're already past the 2-hour mark, but since we're already past the 2-hour mark, I don't feel bad adding a few more minutes here because you know, it was finale weekend. And although Jamie's not here to talk about it with me, which is why it'll be a briefer conversation. Cause I'll probably be talking to myself. I don't know. Cause I don't even know. I don't even know if you watched the show, Brian. I don't remember. Yep. Oh, you do. Thing. Okay. So the, the marvelous, uh, Mrs. Mazel had its series finale that, um, was dropped on Amazon back on Friday, the day, a couple days before these, um, I've talked about it on the podcast a bit over time and I've talked about it online certainly. Um, this is a show that was right up my alley from the get-go. It's New York, it's Jews, it's period Scott 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 there you go. Um, and some friends of mine even more so. Uh, uh, I'm referring to a friend of mine Jenny who would, 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 would if she could dress like the main character for the rest of her life she would quite frankly and she's she's not a fan of many shows but she's certainly a big fan of this show. Um my feeling about the show was I thought the I loved the first season. I thought the first season was you know chef's kiss immaculate. I started to have issues with later seasons. Um for various reasons, you know I felt Tony Shalhoub mainly was being once Tony Shalhoub was no longer a professor, I felt his character was being kind of wasted and they didn't know what to do with him. And when you've got a titan on your roster like Tony Shalhoub, you don't waste that guy. It doesn't mean he didn't have funny moments sprinkled throughout the series, but I thought he was being wasted for a, a good stretch of the, of, the, of the show. And there were other issues I had, which I don't want to get much into because I just want to talk about the, the final season and the finale. This final season, however, I think has been the best season of the show since the first season. I think they rediscovered their footing. They kind of stripped down the storytelling a little bit so they didn't get too, uh, bogged down in some of the sillier side plots that didn't, don't really go anywhere, you know, which would happen with the Shalub character or with her mother's character with the, 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 the matchmaking, matchmaking. And, and such. Um, and they did take a chance, you know, maybe not the risk that, say, Barry did but there was a chance being taken with this show where they were going to do these flash forwards that they started to use throughout the season. Um, some were just beginning an episode with something that takes place. It could be 10 years later, or it could be 25 years later and all the way to, you got an entire episode like that. Oh, by the way, one of the best episodes of the series, quite frankly, which was the, the, the friars roast episode. I uh, So good. So very good. Um, especially as someone who's watched a number of those rows, and I don't mean the Comedy Central ones, I watched the Dean Martin ones. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we get to this final episode. I, I just, I love so much about this season. I love the fact that they kind of took an idea. It's like, Hey, you know what? They're, they kind of, they're kind of running with the Dick Van Dyke show here. It's like, Oh, look, there's, they got a lady writer on a, on a talk, on a late night talk show. <laughs> and she has to, you know, but she's a little, She's a little prettier than Rosemary was, although I don't mean Rosemary, you were you're cute, whatever. You know you know Mary Tyler Moore. It's like if Mary Tyler Moore I joined the, the whatever. Um I just I I adored the the, the TV show stuff. It was I, I, I know so much about that era of television, so it really had a strong appeal for me. Um I liked the chemistry between the characters and the guy who was playing um, I think it's Reed Scott, I think is the actor's name, you know, who plays the the, the host gordon um it's so different than the role that i've seen him play uh was it vp i think he was on um very different kind of role here but i really thought he kind of hit it out of the park it's like oh yeah
1: i could totally see that guy being that guy i i totally could have seen him being on Mad Men. oh yeah
0: oh well Again, a a show that takes place during this time period, of course, I'm thinking Mad Men as well. It's New York. It's whatever, you know, and, and I say that about, I've said that about other shows, but I thought this show kind of did it well as opposed to, you know, shows that I don't think did it quite as well. Masters of Sex. Um, (laughs) yeah, that's, friends are not going to like that. But, um, there, there are moments that happen in this finale that kind of made me tear up a little bit not 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 egregiously oh maybe i i'm again i'm an easy cry so i'm not i'm not a good judge of this but when she gets her moment and she or she grabs the moment on the talk show it's phenomenal it's phenomenal and the the hardest thing about writing a show where your main character is a stand-up comedian is either it be a show or a movie for them even more so with movies one thing they're like, hey, you know what? The stand comedians never tend to be all that funny. They're amusing. They're like a but they go about it in a way where she's telling her story. She's telling her story. And that, whether it's funny or not, it, it's well-constructed. And it is funny. And it's touching. And it's revealing. And quite frankly, in some ways, it's better than any of the routines I've ever seen her do. Because it, 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 it's it's a full circle moment for her. And there it, it's such a great... This is what we've been building up to for four seasons. The fact that you had an episode before this where you gave, where I talked about how they wasted Tony Shalhoub. They gave Tony Shalhoub his best scene in the entire series in the previous episode. That scene where he's having dinner with uh, the, 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 the editor for the Village Voice and the two other men it's not just because it's his greatest scene it's also one of the one of the things that one has had it like just you know taken stride is that her parents have never supported her that and they've been kind of just played it very comically and has been either unaware or embarrassed by whatever and him having that realization that he's never told his daughter how, how he's proud of her and stuff and then he actually has that moment with her in this episode. And her mother, she also has a moment like that with her mother when her mother realizes that, oh, my God, she basically called the entire phone book of people trying to get get her mother on the phone to come see her perform. So she has a moment like that with both her parents. Her parents, which never really supported her in this endeavor to any great extent throughout the course of the series, and you realize they are, they do care, and they are proud of her. It's, it's... I thought it was very nicely emotionally effective without being maudlin about it.
1: No, it was beautiful. And the scene of him basically sitting at a table with the men, you know, in the talking about, you know, Oh, women your daughter, like him realizing, like hearing his own thoughts come back at him, that how that must have hurt his daughter and, and how wrong he was. Um, and turning that into excitement and support and then being in the audience and being excited for her, uh, I, I thought was really, really excellent. And and I like th- one of my favorite things about this show and you get it in this that uh, you get a touch of it in this less than I thought we'd get. But you do get, you know, the ex-husband there. She wants him there and he's in the crowd. And, you know, and he's like, I don't care. Give it to me. Like, you know, say wh- whatever you want to say. And I like the way that relationship is, a, is mature and adult and complicated. Um, and, you know, this show very easily could have just made you hate him and him be a constant foil. And at times they're really compatible partners. Right. Um, in raising kids and in, you know, advice and life and that relationship I thought was really rewarded. And it was sort of nice. It was almost like, this is your life and, and all the people that were important to her were in that crowd. And she told her story. Right. And, 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 and I was curious, like I checked the time to say, what else is going to happen? What else is, and you know, by the time it was over, I saw what they were doing. And I I thought, you know, that that two thirds of the episode is just in that studio in present time, and you wonder how they're gonna end the finale like this. But then when when she's completely done and finished, you get it, and I thought it was great.
0: Oh well, yeah, I, lo- I love riffing on the famous thing with Carson, where if you were a, a stand-up comedian and you actually perform well, he would invite you to the couch. That's 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 enough. Even it's it's more of a '70s thing uh, and '80s thing, but they still they kind of incorporate that because even the curtains were very reminiscent of the, the, the old Tonight Show curtains. Um, and then and yes, and then we get the fast forward of them older and how they've this is past the point where Susie and and Midge have reconciled and they just. They just they just share things together, you know, as they're as they're eating, you know, watching their their videotapes of, of Jeopardy, or whatever. Kind of reminds me of when you hear about how Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner would would sit and watch, you know, watch Jeopardy every night while while eating their. T- the thing, I, uh, yeah, the only thing I really want to mention else about the show that's important to mention, and I would has been that I and Jamie, our friend, mutual friend and mutual co-host. Mutual coast, is that a thing? I don't know. Um, has speculated about was I said so one one I know again, me and like every other person watching the show, so not really I don't no credit for any prediction. I, I said, yes, they're gonna have Lenny Bruce in the final episode. Yes, they're gonna find a way to touch on it. I don't think they'll go quite there, but they don't have to go there. And what I thought they did was really smart. We had already established in, an, in another season she finds the kit the drug kit that he has so we've already established without it being said he's a drug user all right we open this episode it's 1965 and it's a scene and i guess they're in is it san francisco i think i think it's san francisco i know it's the west coast doesn't matter it might, might be la doesn't matter somewhere somewhere in california not really important i don't care if i don't remember Um, and he does a stage performance where he's basically, um, somewhat ranting and rambling about these court cases that he's been pulled into, even though he wasn't even the one who had perpetrated the actual situation, but he was the person went under his, blah, 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 blah. That's all actually based on truth. That actually happened. You know, that's, that's actually, that, 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 that whole thing actually happened. And then Susie Meyerson, see, is it, we see that she's there, and she tries to get, you know, offers her services as an agent, and tried to try to because he's fucking Lenny Bruce, as she says. And what are you doing? Because it's clearly he's in this massive downward spiral at this point. He's not funny. It does nothing funny about what he's doing. You see people even getting up and leaving during his performance. He's there, he's on, the only reason he's probably getting this gig is because he, he's still a name, but he's not delivering. They're not, that, they're, they're not inviting this guy back. But he refuses. He doesn't want to be, he, he doesn't see himself as being worth her time. He, he's, he's cut into whatever degree he's kind of given, he's kind of given up, even though he's going to keep doing what he's doing, but, It's not good. And then we see her leave, and she goes, and Midge is... He does ask if Midge was there, and she tells him no. And apparently she was, because we see her smoking in the alley. And they have a scene between them. That is their way of dealing with his death. Yeah. Because he dies the next year. He dies in 1966. And I wonder if they thought about making it 66 but I felt maybe they were trying to be a little bit, cause maybe when he had that actual spiel about the court case, that wasn't 65 and they didn't want to really screw around because they would be called out on it, whatever. Um, plus they do this show and everything with them, with the approval and occasional assistance, I think even of Lenny Bruce's daughter, who is a big fan of how they've represented her father really loves the performance, which, um, the actress is probably the biggest, highest compliment he can get. Um, but I thought it was really a it was a way to get away with it without having to go there. And I thought, okay, anyone who's watching if you don't know what happened to Lenny Bruce at this point, well then 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 you know, then Google it. But most of us we knew that Lenny Bruce dies. And we're just, and we were just wondering well, how they're going to address that because it t- it's the mid sixties. The show seems to be taking its time 59, 60, 60, 60. Are we even going to get to 1961? And they found a way. Once I saw that they were doing fast forwards this season, I'm like, oh, that's how they're going to do it. But are they going to make it? Are they really going to give us his death? It's kind of like when we talk about the crown. Are they really going to show Princess Die dying? I don't know. We've decided they're not going to do that. I don't think they're going to get him dying here, but they're going to hint strongly at this is what's going to happen. And I thought that's how they handled that. And I thought the brilliant decision they made in this finale, they could have just left it at that. But then we get that flashback, that six months earlier scene between Midge and Lenny. And it's them in a Chinese restaurant. Um, and that's the link to that little fortune we see her, that she finds in her dress or whatever it is. And you realize they're talking, to you're like, oh, this is after... This is after they spent the night together. And I think it only happened, it was only the one time. Yeah. And it's just a lovely scene between them. He's great. I mean, they're just, I mean, the best thing on the show at the end of the day, Hey, I worked into this one too, was the Lenny and Midge stuff. I think that was always the stuff that we always kind of perked up to watch more than anything else. And we knew that it was limited what they could do with it. And I love that they found a way to utilize it, even this final season, really strongly, from the airport scene in the very beginning of the season to this moment to at the at the very end of the season.
1: I really thought they did a really nice job of that. Well, they gave him a hero's journey of being her, like, uh, her person that in her moment of doubt encouraged her to go on, that she had what it took. Like, you know, he he was sort of, uh, her Mr. Miyagi and and uh, you know at times when it was tough he would always say the right thing or do the right thing and uh, so it, and the, the sort of intersecting angles of their trajectory he was on the way down she was on the way up um, gave it a nice symmetry that even in his tragedy if you're going to just include that you know, something of him lives on in her and and so I, I thought I thought it was real nice the way they did it. And that actor, uh, you know, who played him, I thought just oozed charisma and did a did just a fantastic job. Um and th- they had real chemistry, uh, the, the two of them. Uh, the you know Rachel Brosnahan and whoever played Lenny Bruce. Uh, oh, I, but I, I,
0: I, I don't have his name. I think it's it's, it's I don't it's name in front of me. I know it's Luke something. I, can't, I keep want to say Luke Voight, but that's a baseball player. But <laughs> not Luke Perry. It's Luke something, whatever. I, I we but, but this was an impromptu thing. We don't have to have the actor's name in front of
1: us. But wonderful, wonderful, wonderful show. Beautiful show. Um, and as you said, Amy Sherman Palladino, who was the creator, uh, you know and showrunner, talked. She was on the Mark Marin podcast recently and talked about the show and had said what you had said earlier. I didn't know that a lot of Lenny Bruce's stuff that they presented were they actually got the approval to use actual transcripts and in his words. Um, and they really wanted to honor the truth of him. And and I think I think Midge is the stand in for all of us that she doesn't want to see him any worse. She can't see him in that condition. Uh, and that's why she doesn't want to go in. And that's, you know, she's the stand in for all of us. We we don't need to see him die. We we know what's going to happen. And it's tragic. Right. But moving from the tragedy
0: overall, it was just it was just a really nice finale. It was. You know, and again, I, I've kind of, I, I've, I've given the show the back of my hand sometimes because I had issues with, you know, either be what I mentioned earlier or an entire season where I thought that Midge was just kind of just a full of herself, unreasonable character and just was kind of annoying about it. Um, but the show won me back over this final season. Um, I just thought they did a really nice job with it, and yeah, that's really. I mean, I don't really have much more to say about it. I know we're hit, we're closing in on the two and a half hour mark, so I kind of want to stop it there. But um, yeah, three finales we got to watch. I got to watch, and I like them all to varying degrees. You know, very different shows. Um, it's yeah. funny that. <laughs> It's kind of funny to think that Marvelous Miss Maisel and Barry are technically in the same category if this was an award show. Yeah. <laughs> throw that one in there. And then I'm sorry, you got your Ted Lasso in there. It's like, oh, I was like, I like, do oh, These are not comedies. I don't And understand.
1: And don't all, know. Of them, all of them had four seasons. That's right. So Just like, I, just I really, like life. Right. <laughs> I, I, I really, really, really liked it. And if I had to just offer my final opinion... You said earlier it might be your second favorite season. I'm not sure that it wasn't my favorite season.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, a case could be made for it. I think I still would pick the first season because there just there was so much I really loved about that season, and and and, and, and I'm always going to appreciate the introduction of characters and in the initial, you know. So I, I thought they did, you know, would there be the the parents, or we got a lot more Lenny Bruce that season, whatever, but I could see it going the other way too, because they've already been established, and we did get some of the best scenes with those characters in this season so
1: i I think what I liked was it wasn't about it wasn't about her personal relationships wasn't about dating someone, it wasn't about being married or the challenges of that it was right. just about her career. Right, right. And actually, so I think that's what I liked about
0: it. I, I actually agree with that. It wasn't about, well, who, who's she going to end up with? Or the, is it going to be, oh, the, oh, the, 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 the rich, the rich doctor from the Catskills dude or this one or that one? Or Lenny, which we know can't be Lenny. Right. Um, yeah. No, I thought they did an excellent job. All right. I want to, I want I want to see if I, I don't know if we stuck to landing, but I at least want to bring the, I want to bring this, this baby in now. So. <laughs> And I didn't write. Okay, if you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you did. might have taken you a couple days to listen to it, but that's okay. We talked about three big finales. But if you enjoyed the podcast, guess what? You'll enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page and join the conversation about shows like Succession Barry and the Marvelous Miss Maisel. Or any of the shows, past or present or future or whatever you want to talk about. We could have spent another 10 minutes just talking about all the shows that we saw on the ads that HBO was doing, uh, beforehand. I was like, ooh, Jodie Foster and True Detective. How exciting, you know? Ooh, that show with Kate Winslet and whatever. It's Kate Winslet. I'm excited. Anyway, back to the wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I derail myself. You can find this podcast pretty much on most, if not all podcast platforms. But the ones I, I like to point out are if you go to Apple podcast, get us there. Please rate and review us there. I, I, I like racking up the good reviews and the good ratings. Or you can just go to podbean.com, type in serious TV Journal podcast, type in STVD. You'll probably find us that way too. And you can, you can access 382, I think. Yeah, 382 podcasts. And I always say, yeah, 20, 25 of them are good. Uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram. Serious TV drama, all is one word. I keep promising to put some pictures there lately. I keep forgetting. <laughs> I'll do it this week. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. Yeah, we're still there. Um, you know, it's either that or Parler. Um <laughs> Our handle there is at podcast. That's stvd as in serious TV drama. Okay. Um, we have not actually made a plan for when the next time we will return to the microphones here. Uh, I am aware of what shows come out in June. I don't know if any of those would have been what we would specifically be talking about. I know if Dan wants to, he'd probably want to do one on it's always sunny in Philadelphia because that comes back. I'm not going to do that. That's silly. Cause we, we wait till it's like it's 20th season to do a podcast on it. Makes no sense. Um, the bear comes out in late June I hear someone named Odenkirk might be in the cast. I don't know if that's for one or more episodes. No one's... I've not learned that. Intriguing. Not sure. The new season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds also comes out in June. If I was to go anywhere near that, it would have to be it. (laughs) Dan would definitely be strapping on the mic, the headphones. Oh, he doesn't really wear headphones. He's not like us. Um yeah, so I don't know we may just and we so'll we'll, we'll see we there may be a brief respite here we may just come back for the occasional one-off or we may decide to pick a series and go with it because for the shows that I know are coming on, there could be any number of new ones that we're not that I'm not aware of that'll be like, ooh, we could do that one. we can do that one you know so we'll see I really. I have not made up my mind about it. So the only podcast I know it's coming in the future is my next episode of Scott Forgot the 80s. You know, you know the next movie there is going to be real genius. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the Life and Times of Scott. No, I kid, I kid, because I'm not that smart. So, Brian, um, thank you so much for, again, uh, taking this ride with me. Hey, I I got you to agree to do Succession. Guess that was he did. That ri- wasn't the original. Originally, we were just doing Perry Mason, and I looked at that schedule like, hey, you know, fuck it, we can do Succession too. <laughs> no, we can even fucking do Barry. Why
1: not? Let's go crazy. Let's, let's go. Nuts. Throw a little. Let's drop a little Mrs. Maisel cherry on top. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll even write in the description. You know, ha Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, Scott and I talked, listeners, if you have a lot of feedback about the finale, um, you know, we have some friends that may have watched the finale. We might consider doing a one-off, no, no promises, no guarantees, but, uh, you know, if we get an influx of uh, feedback, we might do a, a finale, uh, you know, additional reflection about Succession or Barry. Uh, or if you want to talk about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, we might do that. I know another show that uh, Scott and I have podcasted about in the past is coming. Is We might do Justified City Primeval. Oh, yeah.
0: Is that, that's July, though, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. That's why I, uh, I forgot about that one. But, but, oh, we but, should do that one, actually. Yeah. But but to end the podcast, unlike the Roy siblings, Scott and I probably will talk again. <laughs> And, and although we're not pros, Scott, I do think you can do this. <laughs> you left me dumbfounded for a second. <laughs> Didn't
0: realize what you were doing. Like, uh, I, I get it. Very nice, nicely done, Brian. Thank. Um, yeah, I don't know how to follow that, so I'll just say thank you so much for that. Thank you all for listening, and good night. Good night. <laughs>